Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Joe Sport Time with Joe Sir. We're so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Matt Zemeck of Trojan Wire, and uh, he covers the USC Trojans as well as what's going on with Pac-12 realignment. We'll get his thoughts on everything that's transpired in the last week or so, as Colorado is now officially a member of the Big 12 Conference, and there's more to follow, and Pac-12 countdown clock is ticking away. We'll break it all down when Matt joins us coming up in just a bit. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Our draft season draft this week, we'll look at our favorite coaches. And then to wrap up the show, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Thomas Bridges joins me right now, as always. Tom, how are we feeling? Oh, you know, we're, currently we're feeling hot, real hot. Uh, and I know you're feeling the same. But right now, this uh, this heat is for the birds, Jones. Uh, I'm, I'm officially ready for fall, and I'm not saying even... I'm ready for like mid-October fall, not hot as shit September, because I know we're not even close to out of this. You know, I'm not trying to sound like a complainer here, but what what really sucks is, you know, they, they say the alternative when everything's hot, Tom. Like, oh, just stay inside and stay in the AC. Well, you know how much it costs to run the AC? It ain't cheap. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. My my wallet's hurting. I need the cool air, and it ain't cheap. And if anyone knows here in Texas how it works, like ERCOT, they they jack up those prices, you know, when you really need it. And what what's what really grinds my gears, Tom. So here in Texas, because everybody in the entire state is on one power grid, and we have those power grid issues. They There are points of the summer that they have asked us to, okay, hey, can you conserve energy? Can you, you know, put your thermostat up to this point or whatever it may be? Because, uh, you know, we need to take relief off the power grid or whatever. And you know what my reaction is, Tom? Hell no. Like, if I'm paying for it, I'm going to use it. Like, you're charging me whatever it is for it. If I need it that bad, I'm going to use it, and you're going to deal with it. Figure it out. You're right. I don't blame you. I mean, I uh, I thought I could get away with turning the AC off um, while I'm working, you know? And then I realized, I'm like, well, I can't really even do that because then the AC works double overtime when I get back from work, and the house is like a – gazillion degrees and it's you know i like it i like living in like a two-story townhome it's not you know that's cool and i like the skylight some of the time because it provides the natural light and i don't really have to run the lights but man i'll tell you what it just that's that skylight just it's like freaking greenhouse gas i mean all that heat comes in and stays in and so the upstairs where the bedrooms are are just like a freaking car sitting out in the hot driveway all summer when I get back and I'm like, well, we can't do this. And so currently I got the fan going and the uh, little water, you pour the water in the top and it blows the cold air, like the portable AC thing going right now. Oh yeah. And every fan in the house is on right now. And it's, 
what by the time we're recording this 11 28 and i bet the real fill and oh it says it's 87 now but it's also 11 30 at night but it it's it's crazy i feel like old right bitching about the weather but like if you're well, anywhere in the south you know what the deal is because this is the worst time of the year you know tom i'm sure and, and i know your dad john bridges so you can you can tell me this is true or not but i, I got a feeling i know where this is going to go but i i remember distinctly of my dad you know being very particular about don't touch the thermostat or or specific instructions of when you leave put it at this temperature you know do this with that and and i remember like being with dad like dad i don't even want to touch the thermostat like you figure it out like do your settings and all that was was and and now as i get older and i'm paying bills and ac and all this now i see where dad was coming from where i didn't necessarily now i see why he was so anal about the thermostat was was john bridges that same way too oh no even worse dude um when i figured out like and i forget how i'm raged when i could fit when i figured out what i could do to make the house cooler when it was hot outside um we all kind of figured it out that we could get away with it when he went to bed and kind of kick it down well he obviously uh his and we always give him shit for this and he's older he'll turn 60 this year but um and and kind of recently too when I, I took him with me to colorado to dj a wedding last summer and we had to stop about a hundred times i felt like on the roads just so he could pee and sometimes it was like 30 minutes like he we, he'd pee at a gas station 30 minutes later he's his knees start shaking he's like all right we're gonna have to find a bathroom I'm like you literally just went 30 minutes ago that draws me back, you know, like that brings me back to the point where he wakes up multiple times at night. And so me and my sisters, we would notch that AC down when he went to bed and he'd wake up. Well, finally, we were doing it. Finally woke us all up. And he was like, you motherfuckers keep touching the AC. Something's going to pay the bill and it ain't going to be me. Finally, no lie. He went out and bought a little case, put it over it, had a lock on it. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. Which I get it right now. Like I'm, I just looked at my bill today for what I'm going to pay. Two eighteen is what my bill is, and that's not even c touching close to what I know some of my friends are paying for, like more square footage house. Um, but it's, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Like, like multiple days over a hundred. The real field temp being in the in the triple digits, being like hundred and twelve today. You know, and what's just crazy, because when I was younger, man, we used to go play golf in this and just be outside, just eating it up, walking the golf course. Um, and sure, I could do that now. It's, I mean, lived here all my life, but it's, it's not, it's bad. It was not, I don't know. I say it's not that bad, but uh, it's, it's different when you come home and it feels like you're in like a car that's out sitting out in the parking lot all day. Like, it's like, all right. Right. That's that's how dead it is, folks. We're talking about the weather in the first part of the show because it's that slow time of year, right when all sports are done besides yeah. baseball. Yeah, right. and, and we don't care about baseball. Um <laughs> now one more point before we get to the news of the day, because we actually do have a lot to talk about with this Pac twelve, Big Twelve stuff. Um, not to sound like a creeper here, uh don't don't hit me with the uh, the horny bonk, what I'm about to say next. Um, but, Tom, don't you have a view from 
your apartment where you can see out the pool and i mean sure it's hot outside but at least the views are nice right now here's the deal dude the pool right now is closed because it's so hot that it knocked out the pool pump oh no yeah yeah that's not hot dude that's i'm like come on like i don't creepily look now i have seen some I'm I'm not gonna lie. I've I've looked out and been like, damn, who's that? She lives here. Where she's, you know, what's what she apartment she there? And and no lie, no lie. This is a tell all. Someone's gonna end up telling on me. I don't care. And several of my friends know it. We all always joke. There is a hot grandma out there. She's probably in her sixties, and she's she's got to do something because she's got like six pack abs. I only knock on her. She's out there tanning all the time. She looks like an old, an old leather baseball glove. But she's got a banging body. I have to give it to her. I almost want to yell out in a non-creepy way, like, "Listen, I am proud of you at sixty. If I'll be lucky to be alive at sixty, the way I'm going." So she's out there killing it. Or she had a midlife crisis and started working out, got a six-pack abs and a big set of fake tits. One of the two. <laughs> oh man i can only imagine especially tom after a few drinks like might be game over at that point um no it's it's jones it's too hot to even look outside of the blinds man that's what you know it's hot right uh, you know where else it's hot tom where's that arizona the just there fried like an egg I, yeah i i could have literally burnt up out there um but arizona it's hot out there and they're about to be cooking up some big 12 uh meals out there for what it sounds like arizona arizona state uh at the time you're hearing this they very well may be members of the big 12 conference by the time you're listening to this episode um potentially speaking but from what we've heard the way the dominoes have fallen since colorado announced they were joining the big 12 that arizona has been putting things in gear in motion for them to follow suit and then trying to figure out who's coming with them who will be uh the next teams now we've heard the big 12 say tom uh, from Brett Yormark, he said their perfect number. They wanted to stay when Oklahoma and Texas left. They wanted to be at 14. And now you get Colorado, but you got to get at least one more. And so Arizona would be that team. So then you're at the 14 mark. But then if Arizona State or Utah wants to come in, you're not saying no. Um, Oregon and Washington, that was flirted about for a little bit this week, but Seems like they're on their way to the Big Ten um, with a lesser media share, but nonetheless, at least going there. Starting out just, and we'll have plenty of time to rain on the parade of the Pac-12 today, uh, but just the outlook of the Big 12. Tom, if this is what it ends up being, of your additions of Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, uh, it was a long journey to get here. But isn't this what we wanted from the beginning? Wasn't the goal? Isn't it mission accomplished of getting the four corner schools like we've talked about? Those four teams. I know we've heard all the uh, smack talk from Utah fans, uh, 
you know, and got the vitriol, if you will, from them and Arizona State, their administration spoken out against the move, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a long road to get this point, but it's what the Big 12 wanted. It's a, It'd be a huge victory if it happens. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. I mean, especially because, you know, when you look at the beginning of this, when OU and Texas first said, hey, we're leaving, the Pac-12 was the first one to be like, ha, 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 you guys are going to be dissolved here pretty soon. And, oh, how the tables have turned, um, you know. And so I think that's pretty funny. I'd also love to have Arizona State and Utah. Mainly Utah would be great. Uh, I'd love traveling to those states anyway. And um, cannot wait. I, I was going to go to Tempe um, in September for OSU at at Sun Devil Stadium, but uh, one way too hot to even think about going to Tempe right now. I just got done bitching about the heat, um, and then two just work. But um, you know, I'd love to have them. And the only thing I'm thinking of now, if we could get them, I'm thinking of the storylines, you know, like, okay, you got Utah and BYU now in the same conference. Boom. There's your storybook, Holy War, which I would, I would love to go to that game. And Arizona, then Arizona state is a great rivalry. Right. And then a new one that I could see happening. Um, uh, you know, they, they'd mentioned like how teams could be new rivals, you know, from the teams that we've already brought in. And, you know, some people said that, you know, maybe Oklahoma State and UCF could be some towards type of a rival, but I could see Arizona and K State being a rivalry, especially like maybe even more so in basketball, uh, and just being like the you know the battle for the the naming rights of Wildcats. Yeah, um, I love the potential of where things are going, and think about this too, Tom. You get those three more schools, and we're looking at Big 12 football in all four time zones and in all four TV windows. We start out at 11 a.m., we play at 2.30, then we play at 6.30, and then we get a late-night kick at, like, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock Central Time, whatever it may be, for a game out west. Every single week, we're watching Big 12 football from sun up to sundown. Yeah, listen, I, I can only get so excited about college football. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I'm already there. Um, obviously, that wouldn't be until, you know, next year. But um, it's still super exciting to think about. And, you know, I'm just looking at all these places, the, you know, the new places. Like, you know, I've never been. So let's say, like, obviously, for example, Tempe, uh, you know, I have to be honest, I have no other than what's there being the stadium. I have no I would never in my life go to Provo, Utah ever would never. Um, obviously, now can plan trips to Boulder. Always loved going to Colorado. Uh, and honestly, it's not because of the weed, because we have all the weed we want right here in Oklahoma. Um just better weather and the views. So away from edibles. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's not my forte. Uh, then you you know you got on the other side, like you know, I, oh, okay, you could go to Cincinnati. I'm sure I'll make that journey. I bet Skyline Chili's trash though. I had, um, I had the can version, and it sucked. 
I see. Yeah, and I'm not a big chili person anyway, but uh, UCF, boom, Orlando. Uh, can't wait to make a trip to the bounce house. Um, and then, like you mentioned, there's, you know, when I'm not trying to travel there or wherever, then you got all day Big 12. All day and on major networks too ESPN, Fox, ABC, FS1, and not having to worry about watching it on Apple streaming, all of that. Uh, and you're going to be on in bars and restaurants. This is a win for the Big 12. And, you know, Brett Yormark, what, what an amazing change in leadership, right, Tom? I mean, We've talked a lot about Brett Yormark, but the million-dollar question was, could he deliver on his biggest challenge yet? You know, working out the agreement with Oklahoma and Texas to leave, that was one thing. Um, then you looked at, with, with Brett Yormark, getting the media deal. That was one thing. But what we all really wanted was, could you secure these – Pac-12, Power 5 expansion candidates. And, you know, I was talking to my dad about this. And I said to him the other day, you know, there was, for Brett Yormark, I think getting the media deal was a win. Outmaneuvering the Pac-12, getting a better media deal, that was a win. Getting Colorado, you kind of, you know, expanded the lead. And now you take everybody, you are going for the, the kill you know this is the you're about to win a, a a blowout it's about to turn into a shutout here like brett yormark did what he needed to do to get the win now this other stuff what we really wanted th this is the 49 to nothing performance that texas put on ou and the red river shootout performance that he's doing to the pac-12 oh i mean yeah he's on a roll uh, you know, he's, you take any one of those classic lines, you know, colder than the other side of the pillow. Well, uh, you know, don't stop now. He's, you know, like, uh, like butter baby. He's on a roll. I mean, he's, I mean, he's doing every cliche line again and again. He's, he's not taking any L's. There's no L's in his column. Uh, only dubs so far for Brett Yormark. And, uh, you know, Bob Bowlesby's just got to be on the sideline looking at him just like, uh, Looking like that Wolverine meme, staring at the picture. Right. Um, Bowlesby, I'll say this. He made a lot of mistakes, but getting SM, getting uh, Houston, BYU, UCF, and Cincinnati to stabilize the league, he made a good call there. And I know some people are looking back, you know, obviously it's um, – you, you take two steps back and you might have a different vantage point, you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say, there are some folks that say, well, why did we waste our time going after those schools? Well, we needed those schools to stabilize the league and they're going to be on a tr growth trajectory that they wouldn't be. Otherwise it's going to turn out to be a good thing for those schools. Uh, and for this league, I think to have them involved. Um, one more thing on the football standpoint, then I want to talk about like the Pac-12 expansion, where things go from here, Tom. As far as the, the athletics go, as excited as we are about these potential new members, if we're being real with y'all, 
Utah is really the only one of the four right now that's worth anything. Arizona and Colorado football, I think there's potential. I like Jed Fish, former uh, Rams assistant. He's doing a good job at Arizona, but they got a ways to go. Obviously, we're excited about Dion, but he hasn't even coached a game yet. And then Arizona State football just fired Herm Edwards, and they're starting over. Utah football is a top 15 program, maybe a top 10 program. You know, Kyle Whittingham's done an incredible job uh, taking over that thing from Urban Meyer, you know, close to two decades ago now. As far as the the football standpoint, at the moment, Utah's really the only thing to get excited about for now, but there, there is optimism. I think that those other three programs certainly have potential to improve and get better and no reason why they shouldn't be able to eventually compete in the Big 12. Right, right. And I think I think eventually they would, especially when, you know, when everything kind of stabilizes and settles down. And, you know, to your point, uh, you can even – I mean, you can throw in the other schools that we've added. But if you look at, like, uh, any one of these teams that could come in and win the damn thing right off the bat, it would be Utah. I mean, as much as could. I – as much as I, you know, frothed at the mouth at the thought of Utah coming to the Big 12, for one, you know, at the most base level, sick-ass uniforms. Their location is awesome. Um, but at the same time, just from a pure fan point perspective, nobody, no, as an OSU fan, no other team that's come in or is looking to come in scares me more than the Utah Utes. Utah could come in right away and be the face of the conference. With the way they're going right now, absolutely. That Rose Bowl game between them and Ohio State was a, uh, an instant classic. Yeah. And they, they, they should have won. They damn near had it. Yeah. Um, Basketball-wise, Arizona's obviously a powerhouse. Um, Colorado's had their moments. Arizona State has had their moments. Uh, Bobby Hurley's their head coach right now, and he's all right. Utah, of course, has been okay. Um, it's it's really twofold, isn't it, Tom? It's you get from this deal at the moment, obviously room for growth, but and there's potential there. But at the moment, it's the Utah football and it's the Arizona basketball front. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you beggars can't be choosers. And I don't even think we're the beggars necessarily in this point because they're really the – you know, we're really the, you know, saving grace. I mean, Colorado coming back is like the, the fucking prodigal son, um, you know, coming on back. Well, you had your fun out west. Now come on home. We'll welcome you back, I guess. But in all seriousness, I'm, I am excited for Colorado um, and, you know, excited to see what another lively personality uh, as a head coach can do because right now, Think of lively head coaches in the Big 12. The only person I think can get lively is Mike Gundy. Chris Chris Kleiman's pretty lively. Uh, I, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Lance Leipold is like your, you know, grandpa you want to hang out with, like the cool grandpa. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you got a good point there. Now, let, let's take the Pac-12 perspective on, on their realm of things, Tom. Uh, the Oregon and Washington standpoint. Actually, let, let me get to that real quick. You know, Oregon and Washington had flirted with the Big 12 the last week or so, but now it seems like they're headed towards the Big 10, momentum shifting that direction. 
honestly, like, would Oregon Washington be great in the Big 12? Would they be great to have? Absolutely, no question. Are they better than any of the teams that the Big 12 is adding? In all honesty, yes, they are. But we know for a fact that where they really want to be is the Big 10. And if they can't get in the Big 10 now, they're going to try to get there again at their next opportunity in four or five years. I want teams that are going to be committed that want to be in the Big 12 and want to be here a long time. Oregon and Washington, if they go to the Big 12, the expectation would be that they were just hanging out until they could make their move to the Big 10. And I'm not about that. I I, I think they're great programs and uh, you've got bright futures and everything. But if they don't want to be here, there's no reason to take Oregon and Washington then. Yeah, the timeline doesn't doesn't really work out. So, and it seems like they're going to go, like you mentioned earlier, go to the Big Ten. So, you know, it's uh, it's nice to daydream a little bit about it. But, I mean, if we're, you know, real about it, you know, I think the Big 12 ends up with the four corner schools and, and that sets the league. Yeah, I think so. Um, now, on the Pac-12 side of things. So, here's where the Pac-12 is at. Um, it sounds like momentum is... Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal to the Big Ten following USC and UCLA with Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah to the Big 12. And that leaves Washington State and Oregon State by themselves and, you know, probably headed to the Mountain West or a bunch of teams coming into the Pac-12 that's basically the Mountain West at that point. Um that's it. That's all she wrote for the Pac-12 at that point in time. Um, Tom, if that's the if this is how it all ends, you know, I I feel for fans of the Pac-12. I understand where they're coming from of of seeing their history rippled like that and those rivalries they developed and you know how they've played those teams as many years. But the arrogance that's gone on in this league how they've handled things and laughed at the big 12 and, you know, had the opportunity to take Oklahoma, Texas, Texas tech and OSU and all these schools years ago, didn't do it. And then, you know, most recently when Oklahoma and Texas left, they didn't, you know, they had an opportunity to take those teams, didn't do it, got offered a merger, didn't do it, you know, just continued to make fun of the big 12, refer to us as a truck stop conference. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we got great, Truck, truck stops in the Big 12. We got our quick trips. We got our buckies. Uh, we got our loves. I love our trucks, truck stop conference. And I I feel bad for those fans, Tom. I do. But I don't feel bad for these schools and the administrators in that conference because karma's a bitch. They got what was coming their way. Yeah, I don't feel bad at all, honestly. Um, you know, they're it's the house is getting foreclosed upon. Uh, you know, they're it's kind of like the uh Will Smith Fresh Prince meme where he's standing in the living room, everything's gone, um, type of thing. And I am I am enjoying it. Um, you know, and none of the comments about that were ever directed at me, like, oh, you're a fan of the Big 12. Duh, 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 duh. It was just seeing it all on Twitter and Reddit, the people just you know, so high and mighty that they couldn't happen to them. Uh, when Pac-12 was always the poverty conference to begin with, it was always the shittiest five, Power Five. Um, so 
it's pretty funny how the tables have turned. Um, and I don't feel bad at all. I don't even feel bad for the fans. Because it's, it's the fans that were making the comments. I'm like, oh, what do you think is going to happen now? Right. Uh, you, know, you, you can go like, oh, great. Your new rivalry is Boise State. <laughs> right. No, I hope you join Nevada. <laughs> yeah, get get ready for uh, your your visit to you and uh, Las Vegas isn't for the Pac-12 championship anymore. No, you got a road game with UNLV now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Las Vegas. Enjoy that. Soak it all in. As far as I'm concerned, now as far as Oregon State and Washington State goes, of being kind of left out in all this, there is one more scenario, Tom, that I'll bring up. Let's say if Utah somehow it doesn't work out, if they end up with a Big Ten invite or something, whatever it may be, and we need team number 16 because Big 12 has made it very clear they like even numbers. They don't like odd numbers. Let's say it's team number 16 and Utah is not an option. I present you Washington State, Oregon State, UConn, San Diego State. Who do you choose to be team number 16 if Tom is running the Big 12 in this scenario? Give me the other teams. Team number 16, let's say Utah's off the board, and you've already added Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State. You need one more. Oregon State, Washington State, UConn, or San Diego State. Who is getting the final rose to the Big 12 in that case? Mm, man, you know, I think it comes down really if I was running it in terms of just um, one that I think would be a great fit, I think would be Washington State. They remind me, well, I guess obviously they remind me of Texas Tech, obviously because of the Mike Leach thing. And so that works out. But I probably would have to say, give go ahead and give me San Diego State. Really? I'd yeah, I'd probably have to do it. I'd say, you know what? If I can't get Utah, I mean, you could go. You know, I mean, sure, you could go with Oregon State, or you could go like UConn. Like, ah, uh, I mean, because U UConn, they don't even they don't even have a football program, do they? They do. Oh, but it's not worth a damn. Right. They they went to a bowl game last year. Jim Moore is their head coach. I oh yo know, pl playoffs. No, the, Jim Moore Jr. My I, yeah, I yeah, it's, I know, I know, I know. Um, still, still applies, but I would say, yeah, okay, here you go. Um, play uh play uh you know, seated however you want to, and then play a quick little football semifinals, finals games between those two or between those four, and then a fourteen play. playoff to get into the Big Twelve. Yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be like the play in in the NBA. <laughs> now nah, yeah the, hunger, that, the football hunger games yeah the yeah losers play in the mountain west winner gets the glory and uh goes to the big 12 and if anybody if, if any of them all if you know if they fuck up and act out then uh you know last place in the big 12 maybe gets relegated for the next season do it like a soccer league relegation yes yeah <laughs> I'm glad Kansas isn't bad right now. That's definitely <laughs> yeah. like of Oregon State and Washington State's position. Timing's kind of everything, right? Like, you know, 
K-State is very lucky right now that the Big 12 has got this locked up because K-State very well would be just like Oregon State and Washington State right now. Or oh, yeah. oh, if you go sure. to the you know, SEC, Vanderbilt would be that case. Or Northwestern in the Big Ten, um, you know, Rutgers. Uh, man, did Rutgers get lucky that the Big Ten just happened to be needing big TV markets and wanted the New York market. They didn't really get the New York market. They got New Jersey out of Rutgers. But you do it over again. Rutgers isn't in a major conference. All about timing. Oregon State, Washington State, probably on the outside looking in. Probably not going to get in the Power 5 league. Um, Washington State, I think, would be the choice. But it's not like an obvious answer, I think. I think the obvious answer is Utah, getting your butts over here. Um, but we'll see. So, going to be fascinating how it all plays out. Uh, we have a lot of reaction and analysis to what's going on with conference realignment. Matt Zemek going to join us coming up in just a matter of moments. Coach Bo standing by as well with his thoughts. You will not want to miss out on that. Draft season as well. Tom Fullery, more to get to. Stay with us as we continue here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, he covers the USC Trojans and the Pac-12 Conference, and he's been all over the realignment uh, situation out west for the last several months or years, if you want to call it that. Matt Zemick joins us right now here on the Jones Report this week. Matt, um, is it time to start getting out, uh, get start planning the funeral for the Pac-12 here? Uh, you know, Don Meredith's about to turn out the lights. The party's over. Andrea Bocelli is saying, time to say goodbye. Uh, we're, we're we're preparing these funeral dirges for the Pac-12. It's certainly, that's how it looks with the Arizona and Arizona State University Boards of Regents having meetings for Thursday night. <laughs> it certainly seems uh, that the Pac-12 is about to die because if the Arizona schools are out, and I know we'll get into the particulars here, but if the two, if both Arizona schools leave, it, it's probably ball game because if Arizona, just Arizona, leaves, but Arizona State stays, you still have the Pac-8. And remember, there was a Pac-8 before there was a Pac-10. and You had Arizona and Arizona State joining the Pac-8 in 1978 to create the Pac-10. If you have a power base of eight, um, with Arizona State still staying in the league, then you hypothetically you add two schools to get 10 um, that, that you can still maybe cobble together something in the realm of media rights, get enough money. But if Arizona and Arizona State leave, you're down to seven. And then like if you're Utah, do you really want to bother to stick around? And if and and if you're Oregon, Washington and the Bay Area schools, do you really want to stick around and try and just slum it out with UNLV and Fresno State, maybe Rice, Tulane? Uh, I can't see like Stanford and Cal Berkeley uh, wanting to put up with that. Uh, I, I think it splinters and dies if both Arizona schools choose to leave. So if that's the case, Arizona, Arizona State going to the Big 12 Conference – Still got to have one more team at that point. Is it Utah? Is it maybe Washington State? Who do you think goes with them to be team number 16 or maybe even UConn? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely Utah in that scenario because you get all all of the four corners schools. You can basically build out a West Wing of the Big Twelve conference. So you know, Western half of what would be a sixteen school conference that you know, like it, it's you you would be able to just geographically separate that into a sixteen team conference in terms of scheduling the logistics. You know, you'd have the t- schools in the Western half play each other. A little bit more often you have the teams in the eastern half play each other a little bit more often and i think you know it was a general point of agreement that if either the four corner schools colorado utah arizona arizona state would join the big 12 or if that did not happen then you would consider yukon then you would consider memphis you know then you would consider you know a school from the eastern part of the country as a 14th member and then maybe you know, Gonzaga for basketball only, some other considerations as well. But I think with uh, uh, the four corner schools, you know, or at least Arizona and Arizona State, you know, signaling they might be moving to the Big 12, I think Utah would then round that out because it's just a continued geographical fit, you know, giving you geographical balance, giving you natural rivalries, giving you schools that are familiar with each other. You know, as you well know, the Big Twelve, you know, is is was birthed by the the splintering of both the Big Eight uh, and the Southwest Conference, and so you know, it's only fitting that yeah, another part of the Big Twelve would be formed by the death of another conference. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great point, and so with that, I think everybody's trying to look for somebody to blame. You look at Larry Scott, obviously put themselves in such a tough position. But since since George Kliakoff took over, I mean, I know he was dealt a bad hand, Matt, but he hasn't made a single good decision since taking over as commissioner either. Who is at fault the most for the Pac-12 being in this position? It's the presidents. It's the it's this Pac-12 CEO group because they hired these guys. And then, you know, to Tyler, you're out in Big 12 country. You remember well 2011. Larry Scott pitched the idea of the Pac-16 with Texas, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State joining the Pac-12. It was the CEO group, the Pac-12 presidents, who shot that down. It wasn't Larry Scott getting cold feet. It was the presidents who nixed that deal. Whenever the Pac-12s had uh, aspirations to try to do something more expansive, the presidents are the ones who have gotten nervous and it was the presidents who, you know, when Larry Scott tried to hang on to his baby, Pac-12 Network, even though it never got on DirecTV, never got on various other carriers and outlets, the Pac-12 presidents in 2018, they had a chance to pivot and say, hey, ESPN, you know, we we wanted our Pac-12 Network dream to, you know, become this amazingly profitable venture, but obviously it failed. We didn't get the distribution we want. ESPN, take over. We're going to hand you the keys. You get to manage uh, Pac-12 football, uh, Pac-12 broadcasts. You know, so we're not going to try and get 100% of our revenue. Keep it in house. We're gonna we're gonna share the the, the money with you, but in, but in exchange, we're going to let you run the show. If the Pac-12 presidents had done that instead of letting Larry Scott continue to hang on to that Pac- Pac-12 network Hail Mary idea uh, in 2018. USC and UCLA never leave. You know, ESPN would have provided the exposure, the stability, uh, uh, all the other things the Pac-12 needed to stay intact with USC and UCLA there. But, um, you know, just the continued uh, 
clinging to the Pac-12 network, just led the Pac-12 off a revenue cliff. It kept falling farther and farther behind. And it got to a point where, you know, USC and UCLA were dangled all of that Big Ten money. And it was way too good to pass up. And they could also see how dysfunctional the situation was in the Pac-12. You know, at the time, one year ago, 13 months ago, 2022, it seemed to some that, you know, USC and UCLA were just being greedy. And maybe they were. Like, maybe that thesis, maybe that view still holds. But I think a year later, a lot more people can see USC and UCLA were just trying to get off that sinking ship, right? They could see the mess that existed in the Pac-12. Like they knew internally just how screwed up everything was. They wanted to get away from that. And now USC and UCLA, they have a stable home. Like they're not worrying the way Oregon and Washington are or the way Stanford and Cal might be worrying. And they're definitely not in the miserable position that Washington State and Oregon State are no, they have a safe home. They have that TV money. They have their place in the Big Ten. Like they found a home on the island uh, instead of being lost at sea. I think a, a year later, everyone can see that USC and UCLA were just making a savvy business decision. That decision looks a lot better now than it did uh, a year ago. The program you cover there, USC. Uh, obviously, they were very vocal in the Pac-12's decisions over the years. Um, and were some of the loudest in terms of stopping expansion from happening. Now they get that safe haven, as you mentioned, go to the Big Ten, and there's there's a thought out there that the Big Ten, with USC and UCLA being the only West Coast schools, that they have such a huge advantage, right, of having that distinction compared to the rest of the West Coast. Do you see there being any scenario uh, at this point in time where USC or UCLA uh, stop Oregon and Washington or Cal and Stanford from getting access to the Big Ten? Is there anything they can do to stand in their way to stop those schools from being allowed to come to the Big Ten? I don't think so. I don't think USC and UCLA have that kind of leverage. And I think on a larger on a larger scale, like, it's not as though USC can say, wait, Oregon and Washington, you need to stay in the Pac-12 because there isn't going to be a Pac-12. Like, this, this is the one thing people need to understand. It's not as though uh, the Big Ten is wanting to add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. Like, that wasn't the Big Ten's, you know, first preference, much as it wasn't Colorado's first preference to leave the Pac-12. Colorado arrived at a point where it felt it had to leave. That's different from wanting to leave. If Colorado wanted to leave, it would have left earlier. It would have left much sooner in this process. What we can see now very clearly is that Colorado expected to have, if not a deal, at least some parameters of a deal, some numbers, some figures, you know, some real meat on the bone in terms of a media rights deal by Pac-12 Media Day, which was July 21st. And one story that occurred that day, we covered it at Trojans Wire. We thought it was a big deal. Other people either didn't think it was a big deal or, or just weren't paying close enough attention. Rick George, the Colorado AD, he did not field questions at a panel right after the Klyavkov presser. Did not take questions. And then after that panel, which he very briefly appeared on, he 
caught a flight to the airport. He got out of Las Vegas for Pac-12 Media Day. Now, SEC Media Days are four days. Big Ten Media Days are two days. ACC Media Days are three days. If you're an AD at one of those Media Day events, you can leave town for the first day, but then you can come back for the second day or the last day. And it's and it's all right. Like It's not going to cause a stir because it's a multi-day event. But Pac-12 Media Day, it was a one-day media event. If you are getting out of town on that one-day event, like you have to be somewhere else on this one day conference media event with all the rumors that were circulating surrounding Colorado. That seemed like a really big eye grabber. And, and sure enough, in retrospect, it was clear that Colorado was pissed that it didn't get nearly enough of the information it, it felt it was expecting from Klyavkov on Pac-12 Media Day, July 21st. And so you know, one of the hilarious and pathetic things about this whole saga, Tyler, is that, you know, if you read uh, John Wilner or John Canzano, the two main Pac-12 insiders, and this is not a criticism of their reporting because they were just passing along what inside sources were saying to them. It's not as though they were getting anything wrong. It was what is just what they were reporting was so striking. The Pac-12 sources they were talking to in the first few weeks of July, if you remember that, um, they were saying, we feel no timeline pressure to have to, you know, wrap up our media rights deal. And of course, Klyavkov infamously said uh, on Pac-12 Media Day, the longer it goes, the longer the negotiations go, the better this is. So Pac-12 insiders ha somehow got this idea that the longer negotiations go on, the better it is for the Pac-12. And it never made sense at the start. And now we can see just even more uh, full how foolish uh, it really was that, you know, you need to land the plane and you're not trying to, you know, make this amazing deal that's going to crush your rivals in the competition. You're trying to survive. You're just trying to stay alive. That was supposed to be the Pac-12's goal. Just keep the conference together, you know, live to play another day. It's like punting. This was this was basically just about punting and playing field position and waiting for a better you know, media rights cycle in the future, six, seven years from now. It wasn't about trying to get this splashy, amazing deal. Like if the Pac-12 came in with a price point that was like $5 million less than the Big 12, that would have been good enough to keep everybody happy. And part of getting a, a reasonable price uh, for that media deal meant adding more teams so that you have more inventory. And so when San Diego State wrote that letter to the Mountain West on June 13th. That was basically San Diego State just waving a, a sign that said, take me, take me, take me. Like San Diego State was just begging to be taken by the Pac-12. And of course, if it had been added by June 30th, the exit fee would have been just $16.5 If the Pac-12 has like an 11th hour Hail Mary rescue plan right now, um, to add San Diego State, it has to help the Aztecs cover not 16.5 million, but 34 million, you know, because the exit fee is roughly double. And so not adding San Diego State before June 30 at a much more affordable price to get that uh, football inventory, to get the media deal value boosted, that's just insane malpractice. That is that is just extreme negligence. 
And one of the things that George Klyavkov said throughout this process, and this might have been ultimately his fatal flaw. I mean, I, the presidents are mostly responsible for this mess. But if Klyavkov really did fail in one central way, it's that he always had this vision. And he said it, you know, we, we're going to sign our grant of rights first. Then we're going to do the media deal. And third, we're going to do expansion. Now, in February, March, April, you know, that might have been a reasonably good plan. You know, you, you sign that binding grant of rights document first, and then you worry about the other things later. Fine. But when San Diego State sent that letter on June 13th, Klyavkov, like any person in life who's thrown a curveball, you know, I have my plan, but if real life gets in the way of my plan, I need to be able to adjust, right? I need to be able to pivot to what the cer immediate circumstances demand of me. I have to junk my plan, my template, and I have to act in accordance with situations and just get the end result. Klyavkov seemed to be married to his plan, his idea, instead of getting the end result. If he had, had just onboarded San Diego State right after that June 13th letter for the lower exit fee, uh, and you know that would have won respect. It would have earned trust from Colorado and also presumably from the Arizona schools. Like, oh, this commissioner can actually get something done, and he can actually add members to our conference. That I mean, it would it wouldn't have eliminated the flight risk for Colorado and the Arizona schools, but it certainly would have lowered it, and it certainly would have built in. You know, in terms since negotiations on a media deal had not been fully resolved or completed. If you add a team, you you add inventory. You you add inventory right there, uh, and so that would have that itself would have raised the price point to some degree. Might not have been a complete solution, but you know if you add San Diego State first, you're you're guaranteeing that even if Colorado does leave, you still have a ten team conference. You know with enough structural balance to you know, be a, a buffer against Arizona and Arizona State potentially leaving. It's, it's insurance against the Arizona schools getting out of town. But the other thing is, is that if you add San Diego State, then that creates a situation where SMU looking on the outside is saying, oh, they added San Diego State. They're building. They're growing. Yes, we want to be part of this. So that would have smoothed the path for SMU to come aboard you get a 12-team conference, then then that raises the price point for your media deal even more. But no, George Klyavkov said, oh, we have to do the grant of rights and the media deal media deal first before expansion. Not adjusting in mid-June was just epic incompetence. And it was just this paralysis being married to a plan instead of just focusing on the end result, which was a pretty important one. Keep the Pac-12 alive. And, and Klyavkov wouldn't move on that, and that's why we are where we are. Yeah, I mean, you look at what Brett Yormark's done to the Big 12, pretty much the opposite. Expansion first under Bob Bullsby. Yes. And yes. then the TV deal under Yormark, and then the Granite Rights, and now they're flourishing. And doing the exact opposite has done wonders for the Big 12 and put them in incredible position. And, you know, you want to talk about even, you know, what was it uh, when Oklahoma and Texas left and Bob Bowlesby called up George Kleokoff and offered a merger and they said no. And Kleokoff calls back to the Big 12 office and they said, no, we're good here. We're fine. 
I mean, I, I just can't think of anything right that George Kliakoff has done uh, in his tenure here. And, and, and these mistakes time and time again, the Pac-12 just finds new ways to step in their own way. It does. And one of the things that's worth noting in a, in a larger context is that the Pac-12 has been really stubborn about culture, right? Because yes. Stanford, Berkeley, other West Coast schools in the Pacific Northwest, like they thumbed their noses, Wh whether you like it or not. Some people might say that it's great. Some people might say it's awful. But regardless of whether you like it or not, it's reality. Like the Pac-12 could have added BYU if it wanted to. Nah, we're too good for BYU. We don't want uh, BYU entering our conference. We don't. We don't like uh, that cultural fit. That that was the attitude of the Pac-12 chancellors and presidents toward BYU. Very similar with Boise State. Now, if Boise State, maybe not. It's not so much cultural as it is academics. But you know, the the the, the larger point is that the Pac-12 CEO group has made decisions based on culture and identity more than on revenue generating revenue for all the schools and boosting your football brand um and keeping the conference alive you no know, the, these presidents and chancellors have preferred through their actions or maybe we should say inaction they've preferred cultural fit over getting stuff done keeping the conference alive um you know making sure our football brand is robust I mean, it, it's it's definitely the, the Pac-12, if it dies, it's going to die on the rocks of insisting on culture first, revenue, football, and survival second. All those things were secondary. Culture got elevated, and it's going to bite the Pac-12 in the backside by all appearances. Where's the ACC fit in to all this? We heard from uh, one of the trustees at Florida State today say that, you know, he he hopes the that Florida State leaves the ACC. Uh, the anticipation is the SEC, but obviously the Big Ten, I'm sure, would love to get in that Florida footprint. And uh, all those ACC schools, their future uh, not looking so great with their TV contract. You know, their grant of rights and all that. Where where do you think is the ACC the next domino to fall after the Pac-12? It's very possible, and I think if you're Florida State, you want to see the Pac-12 die because the Pac-12 dying basically ushers in the super conference era, super conferences being defined as conferences with at least 20 teams. Like the Big Ten, having 20 teams becomes a very significant possibility if the Pac-12 dies because the Big Ten at 16 could add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. Uh, and so if, you, if one conference has 20, then, then the discussion is obviously going to turn to okay, who, which is which is the next conference that's going to get to twenty teams, and so you know the SEC, uh, you know again like the much as the Big Ten didn't really want Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal, but is probably going to be in a position where like that move makes the most sense for the Big Ten. Like you don't want those schools to go to another conference. You know, but, but I mean, it's not what the Big Ten ideally had in mind, but the Big Ten might need to do that just, you know, to, uh, de you know, fend off other possibilities, other unwelcome uh, alternatives. Similarly, the SEC, I don't think, I don't think Greg Sankey had wanted to be more than a 16 team uh, conference, but now, like, he might, he might need to. Like, you might need to add Florida State, Clemson, 
uh, maybe also Miami, maybe also North Carolina uh, to get to 20. And you, you're adding a number of markets uh, in, in various, various parts of the country. And, and, and that could really beef up the SEC and what it has to offer. Let's also keep in mind the SEC did not give ESPN a ninth SEC game for 2024. Uh, like ESPN Disney were not able to uh, create a contract which forced the SEC or required the SEC uh, to give ESPN a ninth conference game. The SEC was able to hold off. And I mean, the SEC is getting great value in 2024 with just eight SEC games uh, for the money that ESPN Disney shelled out. So this gives ESPN, in my mind, uh, an avenue toward you know, renegotiating with the SEC for 2025, 2026. If, if you're, if the SEC expands to 18 or 20, it, it's going to make it easier for ESPN Disney to negotiate a ninth game uh, from the SEC. So that's a particular uh, poker chip there in terms of uh, Florida state. One other thing, obviously to, to point out here, the grant of rights with the ACC, right? That's, that's a huge point of contention. And the really big debate is like, is this an ironclad agreement or is this something which can be litigated and renegotiated, um, you know, such that, you know, it's not nearly as binding uh, as, a, as a lot of people think. That's the didn't big OU question. In Texas, Matt, didn't OU in Texas kind of lay out the blueprint how to get out of this? Yes, they did. They, they, they ate a few years and then they got out of the last year. Uh, of the grant of rights. But with the ACC, of course, that grant of rights is through, I think, 2035, 2036. So that's like a tougher nut to crack for Florida State and Clemson. And so, you know, I've been of the thought that, you know, before any of this uh, Pac-12 death watch stuff began, I, I like, like a year ago, I was of the view that Florida State and Clemson would probably spend like five, six more years in the ACC. And then in like 2028, 2029, they would then arrive at a point where the grant of rights exit penalty was low enough that they could pay it and then go to the SEC. Um, but but getting out of the grant of rights right now or in 2024, 2025, that might be like that could be cost prohibitive. Like that could cost an enormous amount such that the value of doing it right now might be negligible. Whereas if you get out of the ACC like four or five years from now, that grant of rights fee goes down, 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 down. It's still going to be notable, but it's not going to be nearly as much as it is right now. And so that's really the interesting discussion with Florida State. Also, I think Clemson, can you, can you really get out of the ACC grant of rights deal now? If, if they don't, you're going to see it happen, but I don't think uh, it'll, it would happen until like 2027, 2028, probably at the earliest. Uh, and so that invites the question of, you know, if, how, how does, how does the ACC exist in kind of a temporary condition for over these next three or four years? Because, you know, you know that the, the playoff uh, ESPN has a 12 year deal, which expires after the 2025 season. So the new round of playoff television rights is going to begin for the 2026 college football season. So if Florida State and Clemson aren't able to get out of the ACC grant of rights by the end of 2025, 
oh man, this is going to be such a tangled thicket in terms of those uh, playoff TV negotiations because you know there's going to be a sense that Florida State and Clemson are going to leave, but they're not going to leave at the beginning of the new round of playoff TV rights in 2026. It might take a few years for them. That's just going to throw everything into question. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Let me ask you this, Matt. Um, Part of what made the identity of college football was that each conference represented a region. The SEC was the conference of the South, the ACC of the Atlantic Coast, the Big Ten of the Midwest, Big 12 Southwest, Pac-12 of the West. When you look at the state of the sport now, where we're going, how much of a negative impact do you think this is if the Pac-12 dies, if we don't have a West Coast-centric conference here? Obviously, you'd have Western teams in other leagues, but not to have a league that identifies with the West Coast. You know, I think this ship has already sailed. I think the regional charm and regional identity of college football have already been shattered. I mean, it really began with the BCS because with the BCS, what you had was, you know, that began the era of teams being disappointed to go to their traditional bowl game, right? You know, if the Sugar Bowl was not the national championship game, it was a disappointment Uh, for an SEC team to go to the Sugar Bowl. Classic example, Alabama, Nick Saban playing in the 2009 uh, Sugar Bowl against Utah. Like, that just felt like a consolation game uh, for for Alabama. And and for uh, a Pac-12 team, you know, to to go to the Rose Bowl, oh, but it it meant that you missed the national championship game in the Orange Bowl. Like, USC went through that uh, 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 on some occasions. So... Uh, it really the BCS in many ways began this erosion of the regional identity. Like w- it, the BCS ruined what we had in the 1980s when, and when I'm I'm old enough, ju- I'm just barely old enough to remember this. That when like Oklahoma beat Nebraska to clinch the Big Eight title, you, you have fans throwing oranges on the field, and when an SEC team won the SEC championship in the 1980s, fans would throw sugar cubes. On the field, when the Texas Longhorns clinched the Southwest Conference Championship, people threw cotton onto the field. You know, there was there was this romance and this identification with, ah, we made our big bowl game. You know, Cotton Bowl, Southwest Conference Champion, Rose Bowl, Pac-10 Champion, Orange Sugar, and on and on and on. The BCS really ruined that that romance. So in many ways, this process had had is decades old and is just kind of continuing. It's finding new manifestations. This is something worth bringing up though. If the big 10 goes to 20 teams, uh, you know, th- it would just be absolutely hilarious, right? Because USC and UCLA thought that they had left Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal behind in the rearview mirror. And now those four schools could conceivably rejoin uh, USC and UCLA, you'd have six Pac-12 teams basically, you know, reuniting in, in the Big Ten. But with a 20-team conference, Tyler, I have a great plan for uh, how to name the Big Ten conference uh, divisions. You could have the Big Ten and the Pac-10 <laughs> as your two divisions. And guess what? You play your conference championship game between the 
Big Ten champion and the Pac-10 champion in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> How is that for a plot twist? And it's now a real possibility if Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal join. It would be the perfect thing. Now, of course, like you wouldn't have 10 original Pac-10 schools in the in the uh, Pac-10 division of a 20-team Big Ten conference, but like you'd have those six Pac-12 schools, and then you'd probably add Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, Northwestern, maybe you substitute Minnesota for Northwestern, something like that. But you really could just name your divisions Big Ten and Pac-10, and you could play your conference title game at the Rose Bowl. And so something we all thought was dead, right? The Big Ten playing the Pac-12 uh, in, a, in a huge football game, you could actually resurrect that from the grave. Now, it wouldn't be on January 1, you know, it wouldn't be the Rose Bowl, but you really could bring back that same feel of a Midwestern team playing a Western team in Pasadena, uh, you know, it, it, in, uh, you know, late fall, early winter. That would be an absolutely spectacular plot twist to come out of all this. Wouldn't it? And I would just be disappointed if, <laughs> and we've already heard rumblings of this possibility, the Big Ten saying, yeah, you know what, Rose Bowl now, nah, let's go play SoFi. Like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, you got the Rose Bowl right there, you know? I mean, exactly. But... Exactly. It would be irresistible. Irresistible. Matt, uh, where can people find your fantastic coverage of everything that's going on in the Pac-12 and then also with USC as well? Yeah, trojanswire.usatoday.com. And and I haven't been writing too much about realignment the past 48 hours because I've been waiting for like an announcement, a revelation. But I promise you, we're going to be hitting this really, really hard from every conceivable angle uh, as the news accumulates. And again, with the Arizona and Arizona State University Board of Regents meeting on Thursday, we're probably going to get some real news. So like Friday, Saturday, uh, throughout the weekend, you're, you're going to get full analysis of all the angles at Trojans Wire. Matt, looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll be talking again down the line. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for stopping by, Matt. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Tyler. And keep covering your keep covering my Seattle Seahawks with distinction. I really appreciate that. I will. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, ohgcast.com, o'connoradvisorgroup.com. And you can check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week where you're able to listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. So, Bo, we were off a couple weeks ago for a vacation. Yeah. Then last week you were off in Chicago. Yeah. And since then, the Pac-12 pretty much fell apart. Are you to blame? Is this your fault? Of course. <laughs> hey, look, man, that's been a shit show for a while. We've talked a lot about it. Um, that escalated quickly, though. It really, it, it really hasn't, though. I mean, like, didn't we all kind of see this coming for but a while now? The last week, I mean, it went like that. Yeah, but we knew this was all coming. I mean, we knew that it was going to come down to what was the TV deal. We now know it's probably going to be an Apple TV deal. Um, you know, the te- the schools aren't very excited about it. And now the Big Ten is wanting to poach some people. I'm not even saying they're poaching. It, this is going to be just full-on free agency, I think. Because I don't think some of these teams are going to take this deal with Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so to kind of catch everybody up to speed of what's going on here, Colorado obviously in the Big 12 now, Arizona and Arizona State on the brink of joining the Big 12, it seems. And then you have the Big 10, which all of a sudden is showing interest again in Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. Bo, like, as you say all the time, you either got to shit or get off the pot. And I think you're going to see things pick up pretty quick of the Big Ten being like, well, we didn't want these teams necessarily, but we're not going to, we don't want them going to the SEC. Or in the Big 12's case, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, maybe they didn't want to go to the Big 12, but they got to go somewhere to go. Like the dominoes are all falling in place here. Yeah, this is the, this is like the beginning to the end. Like this is like the, uh, you know, if you see like a movie and they have the recap, like they do a whole lot of things real quick before the end. Like um, in Goodfellas, the music starts playing and they show everyone being who's been killed. That's kind of what's going on in the college football now. Like we know what's going to happen. We know there's going to be an end. The end is coming, and now it's just a matter of who who goes where. And the the, the Pac-12 really didn't do a good job here. They and we knew and we've been saying for months they haven't been doing a good job. They're gonna they've already lost Colorado. They're gonna lose Arizona and Arizona State. My guess is Utah tags in as well with them. Uh, over to the Big 12. And then Oregon and Washington are gonna end up in the Big Ten. It's just a matter of who they can bring with them. And whether that's they can try to drag Cal and Stanford with them. Or if the Big Ten goes the flip side other way to go for North Carolina and Virginia. So, because what's going to happen is we're going to see expansion to 20. And the Big 12, taking these four, puts them at 16. If the, the, the four being, if they, they, we don't get Colorado, if they get Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, I think some of 16 teams. The SEC is sitting on 16 teams. Florida State just let out today that, hey, they're thinking about coming out of the ACC. There's going to be some teams that the SEC wants. It's the, the ground is shifting under everyone's feet now. And what we're going to have is two major conferences, the Big Ten and the, and the SEC, and the next tier down, which isn't disrespectful. It's just the next tier down is the Big 12. And we're going to go from a power five to a power three. And we're going to end up with three 20-team conferences when it's all said and done. You know, Bo, the thing I look at, too, maybe the most frustrating part, if you want to call it, is just seeing who's getting seats at the table and who isn't. The fact that Rutgers is sitting there pretty, and no matter what, they're getting that $70 million check on their way. And Oregon and Washington are hoping that they can get half, that they can get a half revenue share. Or <laughs> Vandy in the SEC. Okay, they might have the academics to carry the rate weight of the SEC, but the on-field product's so bad. Like To me, that's another part in all this. Do you think we ever get to another step where these conferences are like, all right, now – is it time to kick some dead weight? Do we ever get to that point 
with the realignment, or is that still a bridge too far? I think with the three conferences, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC, I don't see that happening. I mean, because you got, I mean, you could argue teams like, you could argue teams like Iowa State, you could argue teams like TCU, Indiana. We talked about Vanderbilt already. You can make a case for those to be kicked to be kicked out of the league, but they were they're already part of those leagues going in. I don't see that happening. Plus, frankly, football wise, you're going to have to have a couple of rummies. You're not going to have twenty strong teams, right? So, no, I don't think we'll see those three conferences specifically lose members. Um, but I do think we'll see them all expand to 20 within the next couple of years. And I think we'll see a third uh, or fourth conference, which will be Conference USA. And, and the, a third level, which would be Conference USA and the American, left, whatever, yeah, yeah, the American Conference USA and what's left of the Pac-12. Yeah, um, the Mountain West, you know, whatever it may be, yeah. teams like Oregon State, Washington State, yeah, others falling in there. Um, when you look at the Pac-12, uh, of the position they're in now, like I look at it this way, Bo. It didn't have to be this way, right? I mean, think about it. Of the opportunities they passed on expansion years ago with the opportunity to bring in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Texas and Texas Tech and, you know, in the Big 12, even just a couple of years ago, offered a merger or when they had the chance to take Big 12 schools or whatever it may be. Yeah. And then the decisions that George Kliakov has made leading to the loss of USC and UCLA and not getting a TV deal done and the grant of rights, like time and time again, this conference has just made awful decision after awful decision. I mean, even back to the Pac-12 network, that thing was a disaster, not pairing up with ESPN or Fox. I mean, no yeah. one's to blame but the Pac-12 themselves. Oh, yeah, they've got – this is not anyone's fault with their, with their own. And, and I, they're not going to get any sympathy from me at this point. I mean, it's – it's a shit show, and it just is what I mean. It's it's over for them. Um, let me ask you about the Big Twelve perspective. Okay, obviously they come away the big winners in all this of yeah. not only survival but expansion. Um, yeah. Colorado already on board. Looks like Arizona, Arizona State on the way, potentially Utah. What do you think of what the Big Twelve and what Brett Yormark has done? in assembling this conference where it stands right now and what it could be. You know, considering you lost your two biggest teams, Oklahoma and Texas, that could have killed the conference. And it hasn't. And you add these four schools, along with the schools they've already added that are coming in this year, um, you know, you've got a wide base, a wide, you know, you're going all the way from from Florida now with, with Central Florida, all the way to Colorado, you've got a big wide area. You're in the middle of the country, you know, so you've got crazy sports fans for, you know, football and basketball. I think the big thing now, they, they've done a great job considering they weren't going to be the SEC and they weren't going to be the Big Ten. They figured out, okay, to survive, we're going to have to grow. We can't just be a niche. They saw what was going on. I mean, 
we've seen with the Power Five conferences and how the playoff system worked that you had to be in one of those conferences. And when the Big 12 reduced to 10 teams a few years ago, that was a huge mistake. Expanding was the only thing you could do. And considering what they've had happen, you know, reducing the number of teams, they lost, first when they lost, you know, Nebraska and Missouri and, and Colorado in the, in, the, in the day, and then Oklahoma, Texas leave, to still be with it now and to be a viable third option and to be the first, I mean, again, it's the first level down. They're not, they're not going to be on equal footing with the Big Ten and the SEC. That's okay. But to be the next available option, you're still going to have chances to have national championships. You're still going to be recognizable. You're still going to have plenty of TV, whether it's linear and on uh, on streaming. They've done a tremendous job at holding this thing together and putting it together. We said a year ago it was a two-team or a two-team race. This was the Pac-12 or the Big 12, and one of them was going to win. And the Big 12 has won in a big way. Um, on the ACC, and that's the next domino to fall. Yeah. You mentioned Florida State wanting out and, and everything that's going on there. Um, that's just a ticking time bomb at this point, right? Like, yeah, their grant yeah. of rights isn't up for another, what is it, 12, 13, it's 14 like, years. It's a decade. It's a decade, it's, and these teams aren't going to be competitive. These schools will be competitive with the amount they're getting in in that deal. Like, they're getting every lawyer they can to try to figure out something, right? Like, is there – there's got to be some shape, some way, shape, or form that they're going to find their way out of this, right? I think so. I mean, it's going to come down to where the ACC is not viable, same as the Pac-12, to being – let's say a representative, let's put it this way, in football-wise, in football banners. If you were going to have a playoff and you were going to give an automatic bid to a conference champion, you would give one to the SEC. You'd give one to the to the Big 12. You'd give one to the Big 10. But you couldn't do that to the ACC. You couldn't give it to the Pac-12 now either. And... Because their representative may it may not be worthy, it may not be any sort of quality. I mean, if you think about it that way, and now the ACC is looking at it, going, not only are they not competitive money wise, they don't really have the big cachet three or four teams, the Ohio States, um, you know, Alabama football, Georgia football, you know, that you know, Texas and Oklahoma. USC, they don't have any of those in the ACC. You could try to argue Clemson, but I'm going to tell you you're wrong. And so what's going to happen is we're going to see a number of those schools all together sue and get out. There's going to be, I was writing this down real quick. I see at least five schools that are going to want out. Florida State. Clemson, Miami, Virginia, North Carolina. 
North Carolina has enough cachet to, to probably be the one that everybody would want. The Big NC State and Virginia, Virginia Tech are trying to lump themselves with those guys and call themselves the Magnificent Seven, too. Who's that? Who's the other one? Virginia team? Tech and NC State are trying to lump themselves in with those guys yeah. to work something to get out. Yeah, and you know that the, the NC State deal comes down to how does NC State? What do they bring? And Virginia Tech, for that matter. Now, what do they bring that nobody else there can bring? And there's nothing right. there. I mean. They're just trying to be a hanger-on to their in-state rival. They're trying to pull what Kansas State got away with, to be frank. And but the thing is, is that what Kansas State had go back to your, goes back to your earlier point of they were already in the conference. No one, if this had all fallen apart and the Big Twelve had been the one that fell apart, Kansas State wouldn't be someone that everyone would be fighting for. Same thing with Virginia Tech. And NC State, they're very similar. I'd argue Kansas State's a better property than those two right now. But I think those five, again, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Virginia, North Carolina, they're all going to try to get out. And they all will have options. I mean, it makes sense that FSU, Clemson, uh, and Miami all go to the SEC. Virginia and North Carolina, we already mentioned you know, the Big Ten's going to look at them. The SEC would like to have them. And then a couple other schools, I would be surprised if Louisville tried the same thing. I mean, Louisville's a good look for certain school for certain conferences. I'd like to see Louisville in the Big 12, to be perfectly frank. When they left the Big East, they should have brought them to the Big 12. Back Yeah, I think Louisville would be a great fit in the Big 12. Uh, One more, and then we'll move on. Where does Notre Dame fit into all this? Because Let's say Cal and Stanford, if they're headed to the Big Ten, pretty much every rival other than Boston College at that point and, and Navy would be in the Big Ten. Yeah. They don't have a TV deal done with NBC yet. We know NBC's partnered with the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. If I'm NBC, I- I'm probably thinking to myself, so why would I pay 70-some-odd million dollars for Notre Dame games uh, when we can have them in the Big Ten instead and pay similar money. Uh, you know, like, I, I, I could very well see. And you got NB, NBC, CBS, and Fox involved. Those three networks, I would think, all want to see Notre Dame in the Big Ten. The only one that doesn't want them to see is ESPN yeah. uh, with not having the Big Ten partnership here. What do you what do you think the end game is? Does Notre Dame get a TV deal done with NBC or somebody to stay I, independent, or do they go to the Big Ten? Notre Dame needs to get to the Big Ten as fast as they can. They've been needing to for two years, and if they don't do it, look, it's sixteen teams there now. They've only got room for four more, and we know it's going to be Oregon and it's going to be Washington, and then it's going to be who can who can who can they partner up with? They're going to try to bring Cal and Stanford. Now, I don't think the Big Ten's going to go for that. I think the Big Ten's going to make the play for Virginia and North Carolina. But then that leaves Notre Dame without a seat because the SEC is not taking them. And the Big 12 may try to take them, but does that really fit? I don't think so. So I I think there's different rules for Notre Dame, though. I mean, and, and 
granted, let me preface this. I'm not a Notre Dame guy at all. But all those things you said, I would agree with almost any other team. But can't Notre Dame walk into any league at any time and say, we're coming here? You would think so. The SEC wouldn't take them. I disagree. I think think the SEC would love to have Notre Dame. I don't think they would. I think it's a terrible fit. I don't think there's any way, shape, or form that the SEC would take Notre Dame. I don't think it adds anything to them. They're already the SEC, and there's nothing that – they're more regional, if that makes sense. Yeah. And they have their history. Yeah. And it's like an anti-Notre Dame history. Sure. Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting what happens in Notre Dame. Now, I'm one of these people, and you know this about me, I'm anti-Notre Dame. Right. I think that Notre Dame needs to join a conference and be done with it. And if not, they should make a rule once these conferences are to 20 teams that you can't get in the playoff unless you are in one of those three conferences or the other two or three and you're their champion. If you're a Pac-12, the remnants of the Pac-12, whatever that's going to be, the um, the American Conference and the Conference USA, if you're one of those champions, you can get into the playoffs. But no independent in there. None. And you shouldn't count any wins against – they should treat Notre Dame like a damn divisional school. Playing Notre Dame on your schedule, if they don't join a conference, should be like playing Northwest Missouri. It shouldn't count – it shouldn't give you an extra win toward bowl games. It shouldn't count for anything. It's time for Notre Dame to either join a conference and join the 2000s or go home and go be in the in, the, in, in one double A. Go be in North Dakota State. Because that's really what you are. Go ahead, Tom. They could, I mean, I agree with Bo in the fact that Notre Dame and the SEC would just, it would be weird. And, and I don't know how else to put it. It's just, it would be weird and it wouldn't work. And obviously the Big Ten would be the best fit probably. But if they did come to the Big 12, then they we could rebrand as the Bible Belt Conference. We would have the Mormons. We would have the Baptists. We would have the Catholics. Yeah. And TCU being just your Protestant run-of-mill version of Christianity. We could be the Bible Belt Conference. The B- and we call it the BBC. Leave it to Tom. He'd been saving that joke for a minute. He's been wanting that one for a while. It's been loaded up for him. Oh, Um, you don't want to come to the BBC? The BBC comes to you. (laughs) I I really think the Notre Dame thing. Join the conference. Join the conference now, or or be done, or just be done. We can be a sideshow because really that's what they are now. Yeah. Like a a girl with commitment issues that hit the wall after 30, didn't settle down. Notre Dame's got commitment issues. They think that there's something that that there is nothing of. This this game has changed completely. And Notre Dame, look, Notre Dame could be, if they wanted to be, the preemptive, they could be the top football powerhouse in all the country in a in a time period with nil and all of their money and all the money they've got with their alums 
there should be no problem with them getting kids. However, they are this hoity-toity, we're better than everybody because of beating Georgia Tech in 1919. You know, that's bullshit. They haven't been relevant since the, 90, the early 90s. They haven't been relevant since Lou Holtz was their coach. That was like three careers ago for him. Yeah. I mean, that. yeah, there's no relevancy to Notre Dame anymore. Um, one more college. And, one more thing on the SEC, Notre Dame the SEC. Imagine if they had to play an actual schedule and they had oh, to play in the SEC. They wouldn't win six games in the SEC if they had to play Georgia and Alabama and LSU and Texas and Oklahoma. They would be Vanderbilt if they were in the SEC. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not high on Marcus Freeman, their head coach right now. Um, I think Brian Kelly would have been fine. But... I think Brian Kelly's a great coach. Yeah, and, I, I agree. And I, and I think Marcus Freeman's a pretty good coach. I just think that there is no there's no way for them to stock the cupboard now. You can't go grocery shopping at that university now because of NIL. They're not going to be part of that like everybody else is. They're not doing the same things. They have to look for a different type of player. And that's not going to be competitive. Maybe so. Um, one more college note that we'll move on. Big yeah. scandal at Iowa and Iowa State of several players getting caught gambling. Most notably, Hunter Deckers. Uh, who's going to be the starting quarterback at Iowa State this year for the second straight year, betting on his own team in a game he was the backup. Brock Purdy was the starter. But nonetheless, you got a big crackdown here that the Des Moines Register uh, reported this week. And, and Bo, that situation there with, with Iowa and Iowa State, this, we, we've talked a lot about the pros. This is the biggest one we've seen on the college side and players that were active on these teams here, I mean, not yeah. to mention as well, the way that they really cracked the code on this because these players were betting under their parents' names and their parents' accounts and still got caught. Yeah, this is, this is just stupidity. I mean, I know I gave a pass to a lot of the NFL players because, they, again, that was the rules. It was a different kind of rule thing. Look, everyone knows you don't bet on your own team. The NCAA rules are you can't do it at all. The players know this. That's been communicated. That's like day one. You know, you know that. And, you know, they're using their parents' accounts or, or whatever. It, it's, it's just a bad look. It's stupidity. And I'm not – I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm not surprised this happened. I am surprised we haven't seen more of it, frankly. Um, you know, and there's things out there that are, you know, similar to gambling in certain states. Well, and we talk about the NFL punishment being hard of you do this, you could be suspended a year. Yeah. I mean, the NCAA is no joke on this. Like, you could be, in theory, uh, banned from playing NCAA sports altogether, or another even step further, your school could even take action and say, you're kicked out of school. Yeah. I mean, that's 
you know, it, the, gambling is something that, again, there needs to be a zero tolerance. These players in Iowa, you know, Iowa and Iowa State, they know they're in a state where this is legal. And I'm not against the idea of being able to gamble if you're of age. But again, you have to know you can't gamble on your team or even your sport. You know, how, how old are these, are these kids that got busted? I say kids because they're younger than me. But How old, old as young as 18? Okay, yeah. I mean, if they're, I, like I said earlier, we talked about this three, two or three months ago, the, the Lions thing came out. If you're under 21, I have a no, I have a no tolerance for that. Because it's not even legal and you know it. So I got a zero tolerance on that. If you're a 21-year-old and you decide to do it, look, it ain't good. But know that to gamble on your own fucking team. And like we talked about the idea of if you're going to, it needs to be registered. It needs to be we, – we talked about our solution to this. I think it was six, eight weeks ago that, you know, you disclose it. You, you may not bet, bet on your own team or even your own school in any contest, and you can't bet on your sport. And other than that, I can't. I can't tell somebody they can't do something that's legal, right? But I have. I think that there, the NCAA rules should be: if you're under 21, there's a zero tolerance. If you're over 21, you got to report it. You got to report it on a monthly basis. Well. And one more point I'll add, then we move on here real quick, Bo. We criticize the NCAA a lot around here, and yeah. rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But this is type, the type of stuff the NCAA should actually be involved in, a governing body, not even necessarily mm-hmm. the NCAA, but a governing body to police the sport to yeah. avoid, to make sure these things don't happen and apply proper punishment. Because we the, the game can't be compromised uh of guys betting against their own teams i mean i'm not throwing conspiracy theory out there but it does sound a little fishy now about iowa state and hunter deckers and all those close games they lost last year all of a sudden not anything but you certainly raise an eyebrow now like hmm that's interesting i mean like this is where the ncaa actually needs to put its attention to rather than their other shenanigans i would agree yeah i yeah, I think instead of trying to figure out who's making fifteen hundred dollars at a you know part time job or who's making you know three grand you know doing a doing a car commercial, they need to worry about the gambling piece. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to have compliance, that's great. Well, let's let's make the compliance for what's actually important to us. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Bo, let's talk a little bit NFL stuff this week. We'll talk more in depth next week. But uh, Jonathan Taylor, what a bizarre situation. Request the trade. Uh, Colts say he's got a back injury, non-football related. He says he never reported it, never had any back pain. Ursay says some bizarre statements. Now here we are. Um, Jonathan Taylor, another running back uh, that's – trying to find some money elsewhere. And, I mean, I, I feel for him because not only does he want to get paid, but more than anything, just try to get out of this dysfunctional organization. Now that Snyder's gone, now the Colts have the worst owner in the NFL. Oh, by far. Yeah, I mean, this guy's a, he's a fucking moron. Um, Jim Irsay did himself no favors with how what he said and how he handled this. Um Look, I've not been a fan of Jim Mercer for a very long time, 
But there's a reason people don't want to play for him. Um, if you don't believe me, go to The Athletic. Go read the article. The ESPN.com had a great article with Andrew Luck earlier back in the spring. He made it very clear that a big part of his retirement had to do with the Colts organization and his distrust in them. Right. Um, you know, Jim Irsay, when he came out and said, I know that he wants to try to be the, the honest guy and be the most, you know, front-facing and truthful you know, maybe that'll make him more likable. But there is a time and place to be what what you think he wants to be. Um, you know, to be that kind of goofy, you know, okay, Charles Barkley, kind of a, an attitude toward things. Jim Irsay can't pull that off. This is a guy who's a billionaire who inherited his team from his father. Granted, he probably knows more about actual football than any owner in the in the league. I mean, he grew up in football. He does understand the game, but he's a terrible owner. And this, this is an example of him going forward to try to show the other owners, hey, I'll be the lightning rod here. I'll hold these guys down. That's what it's coming down to. It's coming down to we're going to have to, as owners, put our foot down and not let these loud running backs make these, uh, what not to say these things publicly, and to make us look foolish. Uh, whether that's what Jonathan Taylor said here about getting about want to be traded, it goes back to like the quarter, the other running backs, uh, you know. Uh, Zeke and Barkley and a few others who all came out recently, Dalvin Cook, and said, hey, our whole position is a disrespect. You know, I've said for four or five years, that's the most easily replaceable position in the league. And it is because, unfortunately, the teams eat these guys alive. Jonathan Taylor realizes that. He realizes he's the second best back of his generation. He's probably the best back in the league right now. And he's saying, hey, I I got to strike now. I'm in the last year. He's got one more year in his rookie contract. And he's saying, hey, there's other people who would take me. Trade me to one of them if you don't want to give me an extension. The Colts should extend it. They should have in good faith gone to him and said, hey, let's work on an extension. But Ursay didn't want to do that because he doesn't want to be the first guy to pay one of these guys. And so he doesn't want to pay him. He doesn't want to look bad in front of the other owners. So he's going to come take all the bullets now for this thing. I, I'm i on team Jonathan Taylor on this. I'd go as far. If I was Jonathan Taylor, I'd sit out. I'd hold out. I'd say, look, I got a contract. Yeah, but I ain't playing. You're going to, you're going to threaten to put me on an injured list. I'm not injured. So now you're breaking the, the NFL rules about injuries. And I'm going to call you out on it. You're either going to trade me or you're going to pay me. One or the other. And if you don't like it, tough shit. Because these players don't have any guarantees. We've seen what the owners have done. Now look at what they did with the quarterback contract or contracts. None of them are fully guaranteed. We thought that was going to change. It's not. They are, I hate to call it the slave master. That's what they're doing. They're trying to show that, hey, boys, we're still the bosses. 
the owners. And that's what this is. So I'm, I'm team Jonathan Taylor the whole way on this. I hope he either gets a shitload of Jim Mercedes money or he gets traded to anywhere because anywhere he can go is better than being where he's at. And that dif- dysfunctional mess of shit. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the Jets had a workout with uh, Dalvin Cook a couple days ago. Aaron Rodgers took the uh, big pay cut, and so now they got some money freed up here. Brees Hall is still coming off that ACL injury from last year. Uh, Bo, the Jets, they've loaded up. They, they've they made that roster a lot better and added some key weapons on offense, not just Rodgers here. You give him Dalvin Cook and watch out. The, the Jets yeah. could take things to another level here. You got Brees Hall's a great run. I, I mean, he's a fantastic young running back. This is how you take some of the miles off of Brees Hall, too. This is how you make sure he's ready and coming off an injury and you don't give him 220, 250 carries. Bring in Dalvin Cook for short yardage. Bring in Dalvin Cook for first down. Do some creative things with both of them on the field. Yeah, I think that's a really good fit. And the fact that Rodgers went and kind of research, you know, redid some money, extended the contract out a couple more years. You know, that to me, that shows that he wants that thing loaded to bear and going to get some things done. So, yeah, I, I I like that idea of Dalvin Cook and the Jets. I think it's a good fit. I think so, too. Um, he's Coach Bo. Uh, check him out, O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGCast.com, O'Connor Advisor Group.com. Uh, Bo, what's uh, on the podcast the next few days? Hey, we are uh, baseball. We're doing some baseball stuff. So we've got. Um, Trade deadline just happened. Otani did not get traded. So we're going to talk a bit about that and where he might end up. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of baseball. Uh, I got to think about who I think is going to end up pulling this thing out now. You know, things are just going to get more super competitive. And then we're going to have a little bit of football talk as now we're in the training camp and uh, some things are happening. My, my guy Joe Burrow got hurt. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm scared about that. Ellen's trying to get me to watch quarterback. I'm not watching quarterback, um, but she's trying to talk me into it. So we'll see how that goes. And then this week, we will be down to the final four. If you know what I'm talking about, if you listen to Coach Bono's podcast, we know that I am an NFL fan free agent now. And we have gone from 31 teams being eligible to take me as a fan. We're down to eight. We're going to be down to the final four. After Friday's podcast. What's your final eight? I don't have the list in front of me right now. But well, uh fan you are. Yeah. Oh, let me see if I have the list. You know, you caught me at a time where I don't have it in front of me. Okay. But yeah, there are eight teams left. Is there any chance you're gonna be a fan of Tom's LA Rams? I think they've already been eliminated. You you remind me of a Packers or a Bears fan, but as much as you love Dan Campbell, you definitely are probably picking the Lions. So I will tell you that the Packers have been eliminated and the Bears have been eliminated. Um, the Lions are still on the list. That's my vote for you. That's I can yeah. see you rocking the golf jersey. Oh, I have the list. Here we go. The list of teams. I, I, I Forgive me. The Bears are still on this list. Uh, the six teams that are left are the New England Patriots, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Detroit Lions, the Chicago Bears, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Houston Texans. 
The Houston Texans, that'd be sad, actually. Look, I look, I kept the Texans on that list. I think sneakily, that was the best job any of these coaches could have got this offseason. I do too, but they're still a long ways away. They're, they're a ways away. But again, you, 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 I like some of the things I see. And some of the things I didn't like about the organization are gone. So that's what you got to do. Now, now it comes down to these teams to impress me. Um, but those are the six remaining teams. We'll be down to four. We might even go down to three. Um, yep. You know, everyone's kind of talked about there's one team that has my heart going in, but uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, I don't I think Tom's really... wrong that the, the Lions will probably still be there at the next level. My bet is on the Bengals. And I'm just very curious if there's going to be a change in tune of all of a sudden the Bengals now deserve Joe Burrow. The Bengals will never deserve Joe Burrow because the owner doesn't deserve Joe Burrow. Uh, they're still playing outdoors in, in the summertime. Um, but uh, if he has them out there in the wintertime, I'll be really pissed. But, um, yeah, it, you know, it, the Bengals are, I would say, are the betting favorite just because of my my love for Joe Burrow. I mean, he's my guy. So that's the – that is the easy one if you were going to play. I bet there's a lot game. of Saints fans like you that became Bengal fans. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, you know, I've been getting a lot of shit from my friends who are Saints fans. They're like, "You're leaving us at a bad time. We're going to be good." And I'm like, "No, you guys are going to be awful." And they're going to be awful because of all the things that told them not to do that they did. All right, I, we'll see if Bo yeah. goes from Who Dat Nation to Who Day. The who day? Uh, we'll see, we'll, but there's... Uh, we'll continue to follow. Both gonna stick I will give you a heads up. I, I was in Chicago this past weekend. He's doing his official visit. So, yes. Bo's going to stick around. Our uh, draft season segment is next, as we'll be drafting coaches today. And that is on the other side. <laughs> We continue draft season here on the Jones Report. Coach Bo, Thomas Bridges, join me as we are going to draft our favorite coaches. And as we always do, this is left open to interpretation. You could choose somebody that's alive, somebody that's not. Uh, could be a fictional character, whatever it may be. Somebody that's been a coach. And doesn't necessarily be athletics. Maybe they're a life coach or, or some of the extent, whatever it may be. Uh, let me start with the coach on this show, our very own, our our coach that we call upon. He would never let us down on fourth down. It is Coach Bo. Uh, Bo, what defines a good coach? Ooh, that's a really great question and very nuanced. I think a great coach comes down to one thing and one thing only. I think it comes down to identifying what the most you can get out of a player or a team is, what they're the limit to their abilities. And for you as a coach to help them reach their potential to the, the highest they are capable of getting. That's the best coaches to me. They take a player and I always joke that, my favorite player I ever coached was one of the worst players I ever coached. But he was someone that 
the young man, I won't say his name because if he, I don't want to know, I think he's the worst player that ever played for me. But he's <laughs> one of the worst players that ever played for me. But I saw him and I saw this want to be better. This guy came to practice every day. He worked his ass off every day. He just wasn't very talented. But he kept working and he kept working. And I said one day, coached a kid for four years. And I said, this is the highest he's probably capable of being. Let's get him there. And the kid worked his ass off all four years to the point where the kid was never a starter for me. But I drew up a I drew up a two-point conversion play just to get him the ball. And we ran it. And when we ran it, he caught the pass, two-point conversion, and everyone blows up. And it wasn't about everyone else. It was about me rewarding the kid. And, and when he came over, I gave him a big hug and I said, you got that opportunity because of how hard you've worked. You have worked your ass off. And I appreciate you and I love you, kid. And then in our banquet that year, I told everybody, you know what? This is this is our this is our spiritual leader, if you will. And, and that's what I think is important in the coaching is to take a team or a player and get the absolute tippy top of what their abilities are and help them reach that in anything. If you're a business coach, it's the same thing. You think someone has the opportunity to be really good at something and they're just average? Help them get there. You know, that's the kind of thing. That's what I think great coaching is. It's not about wins or losses or anything else. Well said. That was deep. Um, And a great way to set this tone for this. Uh, Tom, before we start, anything you'd like to add? Uh. No, but my first pick off the board when it gets to there is that stands up to what Bo says, at least in my opinion. I like it. All right, so the draft order, here's how things will go. Uh, Based on the random wheel spin, Bo will have the first pick, I'll have the second pick, Tom will have the third pick, and I'll have the back-to-back as we'll go from there. So, Bo, go ahead and get us started. The first pick of the... Coach Draft, who is Coach Bo going to go with? Okay. Um, man, I didn't want to pick first. Um, there are so many people that I've looked up to as coaches that I am – that I, like, have patterned myself after as coaches. My favorite coach of all time, and even though I'm not a fan of the team he coached in the NFL, my favorite coach of all time is Jimmy Johnson. I'm taking Jimmy Johnson first overall. It's a good pick. Uh, and Jimmy Johnson, he, the way he changed the game. Yeah. I don't think that gets mentioned enough. Like, you might, I don't think there's been a coach that changed the NFL more than Jimmy Johnson. I 100% agree. I think he's the most influential coach in the last 30 years of football. It's a damn shame it took him so long to get in the Hall of Fame. It, it's a crack. Yeah. My pick, I'm going to go with, he's the greatest coach of all time. The last couple of years haven't been his. Oh, you're going to steal my pick? Shining hour. Oh, you son of a bitch. I'm going with Bill Belichick. Oh, never mind. Oh, that, I thought you were going to pick snipe me. I thought, no way. I should have. But you know what? I I can't pass on Belichick being right there. I got to go Belichick here because – Tom's got the back-to-back. Sure, it would have been nice to maybe 
rattle Tom's cage and take Popovich here, but he could have gotten Popovich and Belichick, so I can't let that happen. I'll take Belichick. Tom, go ahead, back to back. Oh, I thought for sure. I thought I was I was going to be pissed. I was like, especially when you said his team hasn't been very good. I was like, oh my god. Okay, well, you already know what it was from the beginning. It's it's Greg Popovich. He was the best coach of all time. Most ever, most wins ever in the NBA. Uh, five championships. Uh, he is a lot like what Bo described as what makes a great coach. And if you don't think so, you can just read some of the articles about him and listen to player accounts on how they would just go and instead of talking basketball for the day, they would go either volunteer or have some discussion or group talk or have someone come in and talk about some world issue. Um, and he always preaches different stuff like that. So Popovich, best coach. Um, God, neither of you pick snipe me there. That that's I I thought for sure, Jones, you were going to do it back to back picks. Um, you know, there's a lot of great coaches, and I think there is uh, you know, I, there's a lot of good, also a lot of good coaches um that are fictional. And well, to be fair, this guy was a real man. Um, and he just recently died in 2019. But I'm going with Coach Boone. Herman Boone from Remember the Titans. Ooh. I haven't seen Remember the Titans in a long time. I need to. I need to crack a question. It's a great movie. It is. Um, What I'm going to do with my next pick, I'm – this guy, you know, he – he did lose his life and he lost his hand, but – his impact was felt forever. Getting that all important his player to help him win the tour championship. I'm going Chubbs Peterson from Happy Gilmore with my second pick. Chubbs <laughs> is a legend, one of a kind. Um Happy would not have been able to do it without Chubbs. Chubbs is my pick. Uh Bo, you're on the clock. So Chubbs Peterson is like the third best Carl Weathers character, you know. It's <laughs> I'm thinking Apollo Creed first. Um, all right, so I'm gonna go with just a great, great coach here. I, I this is not gonna wait. This guy's coming back to me in the next round, so um, I gotta take Nick Saban. Mm, oh. Yeah, not Davo. I mean, look, Nick Saban is the not just the greatest college football coach of all time. He maybe the greatest college coach of all time uh, at any sport. And what he's done is just, again, what he's built, it's epic. Yeah. And this is a guy who's an LSU guy going, we should have never let him go. He should have given him all the money he wanted to stay instead of going to the Dolphins. But uh, can you imagine what would have happened? He went to the Dolphins and if he had Drew Brees. They would have won multiple Super Bowls. That, that, that's what almost happened. I mean, Drew Brees and Phil physical. They got Drew Brees in Miami with Nick Saban. So. All right. Uh, I got the back-to-back. This guy, there's no way either of you guys are picking this guy, but I just have a love for this guy. He's an old-school guy. He hasn't coached in a while, but just I love everything about this guy as a coach, and that's Steve Spurrier. Ooh. Old ball coach. 
the old ball coach. Yeah, I just, I just love, I just love everything about Steve. I, but probably my first like coaching idol was Steve Spurrier. He changed the game offensively in college football too. Yeah, I just love that he was always honest. I mean, it was you know like you know how to, you can't spell citrus without UT. You know when he was at South Carolina and he come off the field and go practice field and be like, we're not a very good team. We're just not. You know, I mean, just he he was honest about it. You know, he talked about how bad a coach he was when he was in the Cowboys with Washington. You know, he wasn't afraid to own it. You know, I just I, I respect that so much. So my pick, the reason why I didn't take Greg Popovich is because this guy was better. One more championships, greatest no. NBA coach of all time. Phil Jackson is uh, my next pick. He's kind of a wacky dude, but he's a genius and did an incredible job. That triangle offense. You look like you do the triangle. <laughs> I got to go uh, Phil Jackson with my pick. Tom, you got back to back here. All right. That is a good pick. Uh, he's He's probably the second or third greatest coach of all time. Um. But I'm going to go with one fan favorite. I could have swore you were going to pick Snipe here again. I'm glad you didn't. And, you know, maybe not wins and losses, greatest all time, nothing like that. Didn't ever win a championship that I can think of. Well, definitely not at the college level. Um, fan favorite, though, wish I could have met him. Uh, hilarious person. Uh, and from the stories I've heard, he was just uh, seemed like a great guy. I got to go Mike Leach. Oh, I got to go Mike Leach. That would have been, yeah, he would have been a hell of an interview. I can only imagine. I mean, you've seen the interviews and that he gives and uh, it's a shame that if I ever get married, I wouldn't be able to invite him. He'd be the ultimate wedding guest. Um, <laughs> he would, yeah, he would, that would, I would love to have like I miss a, Mike a, Leach. Afterlife, afterlife dinner with Mike Leach. That's uh, a good thing. Turnaround pick here, you know, there's a lot here that I could pick. And well, I've done two football, one basketball. I'm going to go another basketball pick here. Um, you know, I don't even necessarily like this person. I've never, like, had like a, oh, yeah, I just love this coach. But you got to respect um, his – you got to respect his gangster. I got to go uh, Coach K. Ooh. Got to go Coach K. Just for all the time in Duke and then obviously, you know, the Olympic teams. Uh, he's pretty legendary. Coach K. I, I thought about picking Coach K, but I just can't stand the man that much. I, yeah. I despise Coach K. I'm like, I can't put him on my team. But it's not – it's not a bad pick. My next pick, um, he he fits the mold for two things. Um, not only one of the the greatest coaches of all time in his sport, but a fantastic movie character too, in his own right. I'm going with Herb Brooks, the coach of the U.S. Olympic team that defeated Russia. The movie Miracle. Maybe the most underrated sports movie of all time. Herb Brooks, incredible. And that's my pick, Bo. I literally just wrote down the name Herb Brooks. <laughs> my next pick. 
because again, the double up of he was a great, incredible coach, and the movie Miracle is awesome. Kurt Russell's incredible. All right, Bo, back to back. I, I was gonna go Herb Brooks. I mean, literally, I, I think that's the first time it has ever happened to me where it's the pick before. Um, <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to stay with the football coaches here, and um. The guy that if if he's not the greatest, he's one of them. That's Lombardi. Vince. So give me Vince Lombardi. I like that pick. Yeah. Um, I, I, love, I love the hat that Vince Lombardi wore all those years, too. <laughs> um, I'm going to go one non-football one this next one. Okay. You've already got uh, – we've already got um, – Pop is already out of the way. Phil Jackson's out of the way. But before both of them, there was a coach who I think was even better. He's he's a great and he's even greater now running the front office. Pat Riley. Ooh. He's got that mobster look to him that he'll make you, you know, he's got the very it the Vice City works well on him. He looks <laughs> like he would make you sleep with the fishes. <laughs> You know, he, he's got that mob boss look of He's been him. able to do it everywhere he's been. He's been successful at getting the best he could out of everywhere he's been. That is true. This one, my pick here, I will admit, is a this is a this is a personal pick for me. This is not he's not the best, uh, but he's he is great. He will be a Hall of Famer, and he might be the greatest quarterback whisperer in the history of the sport. Uh, I've picked him in a draft previously. Uh, I'm going Andy Reid with my pick. I, I can't pass on the opportunity to get Big Red and have him on my team. Uh, Andy, we'll feed you whatever you want at Team Jones. We, we got you taken care of. Bo, that's a, that's a, it's like a three-time pick for you on Andy Reid, isn't it? A second. Uh, I'm I took him sure. in the cancel culture draft. That's all right. I, I would I would take Greg Popovich in any draft I could take him in. Yeah. Yeah. We love Big Red. Uh all right, Tom, you got your uh final two picks here. All right. I I something about the coaching, you know, I I didn't really play a whole lot of basketball growing up. Like I didn't play it um uh, organized a whole lot. I mean it was just in the hood that we played, but um still got something about the basketball coaches that I love and I got a I, this guy, I'm not even a big fan. It's kind of like the Coach K pick. Not even a big fan of the team, but you got to respect his gangster. And I got to go Dean Smith. This is a guy who left every one of his former players after his death $200 to have dinner on him. Uh, he just seemed like a hell of a guy. Uh, so I got to go Dean Smith. That's a good pick. Uh, so you get Coach K and Dean Smith on your team. Uh, who's going to be your final pick? You know, I could. There's two here that I could go with, but I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with the basketball. Um, and <clears throat> one second. Pull her up because I only know her name. Um, oh, freaking A. I feel bad, but I just had the name and I lost it. Oh, sorry. Give me a second. There's another one I was gonna go with, but I out of out of just strictly, uh, you know, 
fandom reasons I can't pick. Um, so I won't go with I won't go with that. Why is the name? Oh, that duh. I had the last name. I couldn't think of the first name. Pat Summit. Um, oh, it, that's where you were going. It, yeah, I did it forever. I was gonna. I had the P in my name or in my head because I was gonna go. Uh, OU women's softball coach, but out of strictly, out, yeah, I can't do that. I can't pick OU players, or I can't. I just strictly, it's uh, it's out of my realm of possibility for myself. But Pat Summit. My uh my final pick. Uh you know what? I, I I don't I don't know what we would do without him around here. I am uh <laughs> you could argue that with this pick, maybe I'm just trying to cozy up to see if I can actually get a win here. But I'm gonna do it anyway. I I, I gotta pick our favorite coach, Coach Bo, with my final selection on the board. And not only I'll say this, I'm not trying to kiss his ass here, but just in, in, in pure honest here, and Tom and I, Tom can attest to this too. Does Bo know the game? Yes, he does. But Bo is as good as a person you're going to find and a hell of a leader. And not only our colleague on this show, but one, one of our best friends. And so Bo, uh, Brian O'Connor is, uh, my final pick. Uh, Bo, uh, congratulations on getting picked. I, I'm humbled. I'm humbled <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, no, that's pretty cool. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. And um, if you ask who you're going to ask my impression to the, to the draft, I got I, I got a good one for you this week. So, um, all right, since you well, picked, no, you got one more pick. I know. I, I'm going there. Okay. I'm getting there. You picked me, and I appreciate that. And, and Tom, you – you had Popovich earlier. We all went kind of our favorites. This is a name you guys may not know. And most people know I'm an LSU guy. But I'm going to take Skip Bertman. You guys may not know Skip Bertman was a longtime baseball coach at LSU who won like four national championships and developed that whole program. Um, so I'm going to take Skip Bertman as my other one. I also wanted to have a baseball guy. And so I went with a homer pick there on that one. I was going to just take LSU coaches all the way through. <laughs> not to. Um, I was going to take Coach Ogeron, but I didn't want to do that either. Um, I was going to go Coach O, uh, you know, Brian Kelly, you know, the whole thing, but I decided not to. Will um, Wade. I would, Will Wade would have not made the cut. There's six <laughs> there. He wouldn't have made the cut. But um, yeah, that's where my Skip Berman is my last pick. It was oh. Skip Berman or Bill Parcells. All right, good one, um, Bo. Your initial reaction to this uh, this draft? How are you finally won one? <laughs> <laughs> when you have all time greats, I mean, when you got people like Belichick, Phil Jackson, Herb Brooks, Chubbs Peterson. I mean, the worst coach of your six is Andy Reid, and he's a Hall of Fame. <laughs> so, uh, I got to say, I, I'm impressed with your picks there, Tyler. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I like that everyone kind of had a, a wide variety. Yeah. I didn't do it. I went mostly football, but uh, you guys really kind of mixed it up, and I think that was really good. I think, I think both of you guys picked really good teams. Uh, I don't think either of you had a bad pick, except for Tyler taking me. 
<laughs> Tom, what was your uh, thoughts on the draft? Oh, this is one of my favorite ones. I, uh, you know, just thinking about coaches that I like. Obviously, I wasn't by principle. I was not going to pick Mike Gundy. I've I have too much anger towards Mike Gundy over some things. Uh, mainly, mainly they are all football decisions. So, I still love Mike Gundy. Not, not what he wears for t-shirts. No, I mean that doesn't really bother me a whole lot. But it's. Uh, it's mainly I still can't get over, can't punch it in on a fourth and goal inches from the yard line with however many tries to get in. I still hold that against him. Um, but yeah, I wasn't going to pick him. What? Who are some other free agents that you guys would have picked? I wouldn't uh, pick Don McVay just yet. I mean, he's in the Rams lore, but I couldn't pick him just yet. Bill um, Self, I really thought about. Uh, yeah. Bill Walsh. Mm. Red Auerbach. Larry Brown. Couple movie characters that came to mind. Uh Patches from Dodgeball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Uh he, this guy's a player coach, Jackie Moon. Oh, that's a good I one. Love that. I love that movie. Um uh, I didn't take him though, because at the end of the day, Jackie Moon was a terrible coach. Um Yes. So I couldn't just. Well, you know what though? He did come up with the alley oop. That's true. He invented the alley oop. <laughs> he invented the alley oop, and he used it with an athletic player. So that's getting the most he can out of a player. I don't know. I, I get that's a one good example. I mean, he did trade the washing machine for Monix. <laughs> right. Who? Uh, who's Monix was a great pick. coach. Good uh, coaches. Who's the marshal? Obviously, McConaughey played a real person. Same way with Denzel playing Herman Boone and remember the Titans. Um, oh shit, I don't remember his name. Oh, I can look that up. Who the oh, little you got that one? The little Giants uh, coach. Remember that movie? Jack Lingell. Yeah. Jack Lingell. Yeah. Um another my last of the movie characters, Coach Klein and the Water Boy. Yeah, mud dogs, baby. Mud dogs. Um, he was another for me. Tom, who were some of your undrafted free agents? Um, specifically the movies, and I, you, I did think about Chubbs Peterson, but then that got me thinking, and I was like, nah. I mean, he's a he's a coach. He's like a. I mean, yeah. I don't. He's. I don't know what you call him, but uh, like Mr. Miyagi is technically a coach. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and then the little giants guy. I, just, I had to look this one up because I couldn't think of his name. But one of the greatest movies ever, uh, Danny O'Shea, coach of the Little Giants. Yeah. Um, who's another one? Oh, Patty Gasso was gonna be one, but like I said, can't. I can't um, pick her. Oh, you can't do it. Norman Dale, the coach from from Hoosiers. Yes. Gene Hackman's character, yeah. That was almost a pick for me. That was If I was going to go fictional, that would have been been my choice. Another one in real life that got left off, uh, Gino Auriemma. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. A great one. The other Uh, other baseball one I thought of was Tony La Russa. I thought Tony La Russa. I saw that one when I was looking through the coach, and I can remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Joe I, I was trying to think of baseball coaches, and I just there's, I mean, like, 
Baseball managers don't last long. They don't. And when they do have success, it's fleeting. I mean, it's very few people like La Russa who do it in multiple places. Uh, Sparky Anderson was one of those guys that did it in multiple places. But like Steinbrenner couldn't you know, wait to get rid of Joe Torre. Yeah, Torre is maybe the best example of someone who's been great. Um, the guy I think is underrated now is Bruce Boch. Yeah. I think oh. he might get one in Texas. If he yeah. does, he should go to the Hall of Fame. You know, I thought you were going to pick Bo, and I would have picked him, um, but I was going to let you pick him, kind of exactly. like you guys let me pick Pop. Dan Campbell. I Initially, when we first said this is what we were going to pick this week, Dan Campbell was on my list. Dan Campbell is probably one of my favorites. After watching the Hard Knocks, I, I got fired up watching some of that shit. I, I've said on my podcast over and over, I would play for Dan Campbell today. Hell yeah, yeah. He would get me off my ass for sure. I'd be like, all right, where do I I'll play fucking water boy. I don't give a shit. Uh, I'd run through a wall to play for Dan Camp. Tom, is, uh, think, uh, who do you think won this draft? You asking Tom or me? Tom. Tom. Oh, I obviously can't pick myself. You could uh, pick yourself if you feel confident enough. I feel like if I say you, it works out because you pick Bo. But I do like the Andy Reid pick, and I do like Bill Belichick. Um, that's tough. I'd say I think, I think both of you guys are great. Well, I think it was all a great. You know who was another one we forgot? Um, oh fuck! Why did I? Man, I need to like a drink an energy drink or something because I all these names are. Golly, yeah, that or it's ten fifty five when we're recording this. I need to go to bed because the last two days have been up. Um, who's crucify me if you must? K State coach, not climbing Bill the Snyder. one. Bill Snyder. Yeah, yeah. See, I couldn't. I need to go drink a monster right now. Um, yeah, Bill Snyder would be a great one. He's kind of like football's Dean Smith. Yeah. I like the Mike Leach pick on my. I'll have to. I'll yeah, that was a great pick. Jerk my own self off there because Mike Leach is the goat. Just as a human, he would be cool. All right, there you have it. That's our uh, draft segment this week. As we continue all summer long, summer of Jones with draft season. We'll be back to do another next week right here on the Jones Sport. Final segment before we go. Tom Fulry, story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous, something absurd happening in the world. Tom, where are we going to this week? Jones, we're going to stay pretty much where we're at, and we are in the south. Um, you know, we talked about the beginning of the show how hot it was. Well, I got two hottest shit stories for you here that we're going to work in. Two different states, one that you are in. Um well, and the other one you were just in. So, and I'm glad you didn't fall down because according to CNN.com, it's so hot in Arizona. Doctors are treating a spike of patients who were burned by just falling on the ground. Oh, it is. It is so hot in Maricopa County, Arizona, that people were being brought that? In. there. You see, I'm glad you didn't fall on the ground. You know, you might have got burned. Um, emergency room with significant, sometimes life-threatening burns. For the past three or four weeks of this record heat wave, people have been burned just by falling on the ground. Summers are our busy season, so we anticipate that this sort of thing is going to happen. 
but this is really unusual. The number of patients that we're seeing and the severity of injuries, the acuity of the injuries is much higher, said Dr. Kevin Foster, director of burn services at the Arizona Burn Center at Valley Wise Health. The numbers are higher and the seriousness of the injuries are higher, and we don't have a good explanation for it. Every single one of the 45 beds in the burn center is full, he said, and one-third of the patients are people who fell and burned themselves on the ground. There are also burn patients in the ICU, and about half of those patients are people who got burned by the ground after they fell. It has definitely taken its toll. The area has been hotter than usual, even for Arizona, and that, experts say, means that the ground can be dangerous for anyone whose bare skin comes into contact with it. Asphalt is dark and dense, why concrete is lighter and reflects some sunlight. When the sun shines on asphalt, a dark color causes it to absorb light and heats up. Yeah, we knew that. Since it is a dense material, it also holds the heat even after the sun has been shining on it. On a hot day, asphalt can easily be 40 to 60 degrees hotter than the air. Some studies show last Thursday the air temperature reached 119 degrees Fahrenheit. Phoenix had six consecutive days at or above 115 degrees. Uh, the streak ended Sunday with the high temperatures only, re only reaching 114. The temperature of asphalt and pavement, concrete, and sidewalks in Arizona on a warm sunny day or summer afternoon is 180 degrees sometimes. I mean, it's just a little below boiling point. Jones, this is crazy. I told, I mean, I, I, Oklahoma's been hot too. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not as hot as maybe Arizona or sometimes even Texas where you're at. It's just the humidity here. Even though you do get the humidity in Texas, and that's where we're going to go for the next hot story. Um, and this comes from theguardian.com. Texas worker accused of being on drugs was actually dying of a heat stroke. The mother of 24-year-old worker who, oh, maybe he did die. Oh, he did. Yeah, he died. Okay. Well, that escalated quickly. Yeah, Jones, he, he died. Um, the title said dying, so I thought that maybe he made this is, it out. This is your Theo Vaughn moment here. Yeah, he, he died. Um, the mother of 24-year-old worker who died from a heat stroke while working for a construction firm in San Antonio has filed a lawsuit against his employer. Gabriel Infante was working for B-Com Constructors in San Antonio on... This was in June 23rd, so it's even hotter than it was in June. Digging in the hot summer sun to move internet fiber optic table, a job he had recently started with childhood best friend while they were finishing college. Lawsuit comes after Texas Texas's Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed a controversial bill into law, prohibits local municipalities from enacting heat protection standard for construction workers. So stupid. That makes no sense. Um, so according to the lawsuit, Infante began exhibiting heat stroke symptoms, including confusion, altered mental state, dizziness, and loss of consciousness. His friend and coworker began pouring cold water over him, trying to cool him down. I want to say you don't actually do that when someone's having a heat stroke. I think that's a, like recommended against, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a medical professional. Um, so I wouldn't know for sure. But I do feel like you don't put cold water on someone that is going through a heat stroke. I think there's different measures. But I need to look that up because it's been so hot here that that could be a potential 
situation. Um, anyway, I put this Texas story along with the one uh, that was in Phoenix, mainly because you're in Texas and you just went to Phoenix. But all this to say, Jones, it is so hot that you could fall on the ground. And just because the ground is so hot from it being so hot outside, you can get uh, like second degree, third degree burns just because the asphalt's almost at a boiling point. Like, I'm wondering how long you have to be on the ground for. Is it like if I fell on the ground and laid there for a second? Or, you know, is it, you know, sometimes when you start the shower and the water's too hot and you got to turn it down a little bit and you like put your hand under the water and for like a split second, the water's so hot it almost feels cold. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's like what happens when you fall on the pavement. Does it? I mean, I've touched a hot stove before, and it's like immediate reaction is, ooh, hand, you know, out, you know, back. If you can fall on the ground and get burned by the pavement, it's way too fucking hot outside. Um, You know, I don't like to go around throwing the Al Gore thing around too much, but I do believe in some climate change is happening. Because I don't know about you, and maybe it's prisoner of the moment. I feel like it's hot. And we know it's going to be hot in Oklahoma and Texas and Phoenix. Um, We know that this is the time of the year that it's like the hottest. But at the same time, this feels like a different heat than I felt in a long time. I can't, I mean, I can't remember a summer that has been this hot. Um, I mean, it's, it's so hot. Like I said earlier on the show, it's so hot. The pool's closed. At least my pool's closed. I don't know if I told you this, Tom. I can't remember if I did or not, but. When I was out in Phoenix, at least three times, maybe four times, uh, we drove by and saw cars just like ha- they had run into a a pole, uh, like a, a light pole of sorts. And from people I talked to, they said, yeah, pretty much that happens pretty regularly because how hot it is, people passing out in their cars from heat stroke. They don't have their air conditioning's not working or whatever it may be, and they just pass out and they wreck their car right into the light pole. Like I've never heard of such a thing, but it happens. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, that is just out of this world insane. If you think about it, like, um, and what they say, like out in Death Valley, which is obviously not too far from Arizona, like in the what the southeastern region of california it's somewhere in that lower bowl area uh it was like the hot like the fifth hottest temperature ever recorded on earth um like it's always funny people say the climate change isn't real when it's like balls ass freezing outside but i think it you know obviously people think climate change is like just saying it's just gonna get it's just getting hotter when it's just more like no just the extremes of both ends of temperatures are crazier the hurricanes are stronger. The tornadoes are stronger. The weather's just more radical and crazy. And I, I am half tempted to believe most of it um, because it's, it's crazy. The only thing that I don't like about it is that they will, uh, they'll say like, you know, we need to uh, conserve energy or you know maybe not drive on this day or don't top off your fuel. Da 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 da. And when it's that that's not even doesn't even put a dent in it compared to like all the multimillionaires flying their jets all over but we won't get into that 
my main thing is it's so hot you can fall on the ground and get a third degree burn not because you know you could fall and break a bone and that's not even maybe near severe depending on what bone is a third degree burn somewhere on your skin you're going to a burn unit from touching the asphalt on the ground because it's so hot ridiculous you know i feel like this uh this summer like like i said so hot here that um you can't even get in the pool because the heat is so hot the pool shut the heat shut the pool pump down can't even get in the pool to cool off you ever Um, fried an egg on the sidewalk before no i always talk about it but damn i could go get some eggs from a research right now and i guarantee you by i could put one out there for an hour and it would be you know good enough to eat i wouldn't eat an egg from the ground but you could you could definitely do it i mean you could you could fucking it sounds like you open up a fucking ihop in arizona right now eggs for everybody and you just got a free grill right there on the ground yeah i mean you need 180 degrees on the asphalt you gotta be kidding me um that and like um i mean it's so hot it's you know it's that's the bad thing about air conditioners knock on wood um that people's acs go out in the summer because it's so hot like no lie today i walk into work and two people are like man i gotta really soak this up this ac here at work up because uh our ac went out two people at work this morning and so all that to say is that i am ready for a nice cold 55 degrees i could even live all year round if it was like 70 degrees 65 70 degrees all year round it'd be perfect uh you know and i don't want to go somewhere where it's negative five in the winter either but i'm just uh on i'm i'm on one of those rolls today it's so i mean it's still so hot in my house that um you know it's i'll be having to i don't know maybe sleep in the nude tonight i don't know maybe tmi there but damn it's uh it ain't cold that's for sure so that's uh just tom getting older and bitching about the weather but it has been hot and so i figured we'd do uh you know i figured we'd do the uh tom foolery on the weather um because i don't know if we've ever done a weather tom foolery i'm sure we have at some point in time um i almost sound like alex jones the water's turning the frogs gay you know uh the the hottest weather prior to maybe when I was in Phoenix this past week that I, I remember Tom funny story. Um, as a kid, we, uh, we took a youth trip to, uh, to Juarez and, oh. <laughs> and, you know, we, we did a little mission trip there and, and I wasn't very old and, and, uh, I remember being so hot. Like I think I passed out in the church van and I had to take a little fan to cool me off. And I remember saying, like, so hot here. I can't stand it. You know, like it was just brutal. Like L- little Tyler could not handle Juarez. And I have not been back to Juarez since. Uh, probably don't want to go back to Juarez either. Oh, uh, yeah. There's maybe a couple different reasons. Um, but you say that. You know what's also funny about It's not funny because I'm, ain't no laughing matter. The seat's no laughing matter. I, I'm, I'll watch a comedy show and not even, not even smirk if it was this hot it'd take a lot to get me to laugh when it's this hot um some about church fans too think about that you mentioned it's so hot in the church van i've taken many rides in the church van as well 
something why why did church van, church vans never had ac it didn't feel like thinking like looking back because you got like church- nine people in those vans and you can't get the air through to everybody yeah it was always hot in the church van unless you were up front which you never got to be it was always you know the youth pastors riding in the front all the kids in the back but uh always so hot in those vans i remember we did a a little mission trip back in my day to uh to houston or we were in houston for some reason and i remember we were working on this church kind of in the ghetto or somewhere and not a good part of town like this church had like a barbed wire fence and a gate around it and we stayed at this church and it was like made of cinder blocks i mean it was they were out there they were out there worshiping god in the hood you know pastor had a freaking glock on him or something you know we were we were somewhere and not a nice part of town but and we slept on the church pews and i can remember it just being so hot in that church too i was like golly how can you worship god in hell because it's that hot you know (laughs) it's like oh uh and i'm over it and it's uh like i said earlier on the show there's no really sports going on right now besides baseball i'm i'm I'd even take just a slightly cooler day and be outside for an Oklahoma State football game uh, over this no sports having ass beginning of August. It's uh, they say the dog days of summer. They are absolutely right. You can't even go to an event without like having to drink something like water, beer, pop, something like. Yeah, and too hot not to have something cold in your hand. You know, like a cold can there. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, the people will have warm cups of co- hot cups of coffee, and when it's cold, to warm their hands. You need, like, an ice-cold beer straight from the cooler um, to do that. You know, they make those uh, those hand warmers, you know? You shake yeah. them up, warm your hands. How about coming out with a freaking cold one, you know, where it's just, like, ice, ice cubes. cubes? Yeah, like having ice cubes in your hands. They need to figure out a way to make something like that. That I could get behind. That another thing we want to talk about. It's so hot. All these cars that are sold in the South, and my car included, and you can get them with the the AC seats, but that's like the most expensive package on the car. Um, my seats have the front two have uh, heated seats. I don't ever never get to use them. Why? I'm barely using them. Um, you know, like. I remember getting them and I need to go buy a sunshade um, for my car. Cause I remember I got in my car at work or after work today. And uh, you know, that part of that seat belt, that metal seat belt touched the side of me, touched my arm. Oh man. Uh, I'm, I almost, you know, it's kind of like touching the road in Phoenix. You might get burned. Uh, leather seats too. So hot. I'm telling you. Someone's going to listen to this and they're going to live on like the fucking equator line. And they're going to be like, listen to these bitches, you know, <laughs> but uh, it ain't nothing to play with. Um, and Jones, you know, we're getting older. I, um, you know, at my job, I have to go out in the shop um, for like day job is like working for like an oil and gas uh, engineering oil, like oil and gas separator manufacturer. So we go out in the shop and uh, I've even been like buying uh, as part of my job, buying like pallets of Gatorade and uh, these um, they are essentially Gatorade popsicles for the people that work out in the shop. 
um, because it's like open air and it is it is hot in the shop. And so and all these guys are all in welding gear. And so I know they're hot out there and they've been buying like these Gatorade popsicles that aren't they're actually not too bad. Um, but, yeah, it's it's popsicle season for sure. It is indeed. Uh, we got to go. Big thanks to uh, Matt Zimmick for joining us. Coach Bo as well. You, the listener, for being here with us. Subscribe to show new episodes out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Uh, check us out, social media, facebook.com uh, slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at uh, Studio underscore Soapbox, and uh, Instant, Instant Thomas on Instagram, um, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore Report, Thomas underscore Bridges on Twitter as well. You can find us there. For Thomas Bridges, Coach Bo, Matt Zemeck, and our entire crew, and Tyler Jones, thanks so long. This is another edition of Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.